Oh, I miss the Santa laughing. I miss the ho ho ho. My <laughs> first, I was like, oh, ho, ho, ho. hey everybody, I'll welcome up back. Something now. Welcome back to X's for show where we have no ho ho hos uh, except for us. I'm Nico. You can check me out all over the internet at Nico Action. That's N I C O A C T I O N. And I'm TK. You can find me at TK Elemental. And I'm your producer, Kev O'Reilly, and you can uh, find me in the corner watching you guys talk comics today. And what a talk today we have to talk. Uh, You know, one of the big things that I've really been trying to figure out when we're talking about comics is, do I love it? Or am I under the impression that things will get better because they solicit them well? Um, And then the other side of it is, am I being too negative because it's a solicit and not a real book and so um i'm trying to i'm trying to read solicits with a little bit more understanding of industry in mind yeah i get that i that's something i talked about a lot when we were talking about drag race our last episode like i like to watch and watch everything around it like you know the the preview, the the Queen's preview, stuff like Glam Slam, anything that comes up, I sort of watch with a look towards what the industry is doing, what production is doing, what's going on behind the scenes. I think with comics, I should be doing that. Uh, but the best I can really get to is like neutrality uh, and just seeing things like the solicits and just saying, okay, this is what's coming out. I think one of the things about, okay, this is what's coming out, is my trepidation when it comes to promising me a new era with a single book. And, you know, I we have a couple of those coming up this episode where I'm just like, you can't convince me that that's a, a, a whole idea, but you can convince me that the whole idea is there somewhere. I don't know. However, there's other stuff where I'm like, I'm, I'm chomping at the bit. I cannot wait for this Daredevil issue. Uh, I cannot wait for this Ultimate X-Men issue. Nobody be mad at me. I'm really excited about Spectacular Spider-Man. No, I, I that's actually the one that I'm most like definitely excited about. Uh, it's Greg Weissman. Greg uh, Weissman! Creator Greg Weissman. of Gargoyles of all things. I mean, like a truly brilliant creator of our time. Uh, who, a guy who's famous for his Spectacular Spider-Man animated TV show that is one of the most beloved of its generation. Exactly. Uh, and we'll talk about this more when we talk about the solicit, but that one I'm excited about. The Daredevil, uh, yeah, it's coming out. It definitely, this is what's coming out. And same thing with Ultimate. You know, I read all of the new Ultimate series, and although I love Peach Momoko, and I think this looks really cool, uh, the I was not gagged by the start of the new ultimate universe i think it's a little fun i think it's a little interesting um but to kind of do this soft line reset uh for the ultimate universe i'm just neutral about it i'm not i'm not this is bad but i'm not gonna get hyped over it when i have seen the source material when i've seen like the the lead up and it it wasn't my favorite ever. Well, you know, and I just want to comment on that because I'm also a little bit not willing to do the go backs on soft lines. The thing that has me so frustrated here is that, yeah, Kevo, yeah, you laugh at that. Yeah, I heard show. it. Um, <laughs> you know, the thing that has me the most eager to talk about this episode 
is everybody's kind of got their own take on what's going on in the Marvel Universe right now. For my sake, we are building toward a burning. Uh, I think we got to be looking toward a burning it all down in the near future. Um, and it's like there's that timeless trailer. You know, um, they they released a timeless issue that was about as timeless as an episode of Falcon Crest. And it just was not, first of all, I, every now and then Marvel is like, have you heard this adjective before? <laughs> you probably don't know what it means. You think you know what the word immortal means, but you don't. It means this thing that probably uses Judaism as a magical force that you can just write into the story. Anyway, um, so they come out with this adjective and they're like, this is what it means. And uh, timeless, they they really tried to make. So first of all, when we were saying Peach Momoko, I was like, you go, Peach Momoko. Four for you, Peach Momoko, because she's a genius. I love her, but I do kind of agree. Um, it is a little nun for Gretchen Wiener's ultimate universe. Um, and so the other side of it is stop trying to make timeless happen. Uh, it's never going to happen. And this timeless was really well written. I liked the scripting. I don't know under what dark God this was in the service of. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was a cool story. Um, it was, it reminded me of uh, Chris Cantwell's Namor, future Namor story, Namor Distant Shores or something. Yeah. We covered it. Uh, where it's Namor oh, in the- Namor Pure Shores. Yep, there you go. Pure Moods. Namor Pure Moods. Um, featuring Enya. Uh, sail away, Namor. Um, Orinoco flow. Um it reminded me of that where it's a future story that can't really be even like possible 616 canon. It really, it's like, it would be the, uh, the equivalent of Cable's future where it never is going to happen in hours, but elements of this non ever happening future can come back in time to prevent themselves from never happening, which they're never going to. That's fine. Whatever. I don't care that I don't buy the future. It's cool to see Luke Cage do the whole thing and all the elements that they pulled in very super cool. The thing is timeless is not. Um, we don't take timeless for granted in the Marvel universe. Timeless is not a thing. Timeless is a two-year-old concept that is exclusively Jed McKay's. But hold on, we could have ourselves an uncanny all-new timeless any moment. Well, I, we, I I would get into it maybe, but timeless is Jed McKay's thing, and what's timeless is Thanos. Or sorry, uh, Kang. Same thing. Uh, what's timeless is Kang. Kang, the yeah, it is actually exactly. <laughs> your fault. She knows what she did. Um. It it's it is Kang is a as a guy without time. Kang is all times. That's cool. That's a Kang story. I don't care so much about Kang, but I'm not gonna throw it in the trash. I was there for the timeless issues. That first one really gave Doomsday Clock for Miracle Man. Maybe not my favorite way to introduce him, but Miracle Man coming to the Marvel Universe, A plus idea for me. And I know it's higher grade than that for you if no, done I just wish properly. It would happen. I right, wish it exactly. Would happen. Right. Where is Miracle Man? Then oh, we did. We said where is Miracle Man? And then Miracle Woman showed up. There she uh, is. Yeah. Here I am. The one that controls our universe. Um oh, we should be so lucky. 
then we did Timeless 2, which is the weird uh, King Arthur's Court. Also fine. Again, like not gagging over the concept, but didn't hate it. Could have gotten into all of it. Seeing all those people not drawn by Greg Land would have been really exciting. Um, But then we shift to a much more unknown author with a really different agenda uh, for this third one. And he writes a perfectly fine story, but... If ultimately the point of Timeless is the four to six pages in the middle to late part of the story where they flash one panel for each property that Marvel owns to sort of show something for how it's going to be in the next couple years because it's not always a guarantee for the year ahead. To indicate Um, some long-term planning. That's not a thing. I don't... Nobody asked for that. Nobody needs that. Uh, it's also too easy to misinterpret or you know exactly what the thing is already so it doesn't matter. For instance, are we doing real versions of all of those uh, sidekick uh, cover characters? Because that Wolverine one is literally just Wild Thing but messier. So don't do that. Don't just give me Wild Thing back. We are ready. We are... The, uh, anyway, anyway. Um, I it just... I love the idea of Timeless becoming a thing, but I would have gone from McKay to... It's tough to even say anymore because they don't treat their Titans like Titans anymore. Like, I won't say Hickman anymore because... I would say Alyssa Wong. I, Alyssa Wong would be a fantastic one. There, There's a really good example. Oh, shut um, up. Hold on. We said that Miracle Woman was in the chat when Tori Sheen... So, okay, for those of you who listen to this as a podcast, because there are many of you, mm-hmm. um, I promise I'm going to do a slightly better job on the editing to get that transition down. I love all of you. Thank you for listening in. It's so great to still have you with us. Um, when I said Miracle Woman is here, that's because Tori Sheen, a longtime contributor to the show, you all know her from our Billy Club coverage, uh, popped in. And uh, for those of you who aren't as familiar, uh, one of our all-time favorite contributors to our chat section, Tasty Cake, is here. Always so exciting to uh, have him out there. So just wanted to say hey to our uh, awesome crew of commentators. Um, And Tasty Cake, uh, Wild Thing does make my heart sing. She is a little-known daughter of Wolverine from a little-known side universe called uh, MC2, Earth 982, uh, that began with Spider-Girl, the daughter of Peter Parker, somebody who we have covered every single issue she has ever been in, and because of that, we know a lot about Wild Thing. We love her very much, and when we saw this this alternate cut, what what do you got? What? Um, Yeah. Yep. Oh hi Tim Burnham! Happy New Year! Hey Tim, hey, Tim Burnham, uh, absolutely my the person who knows uh, more. You're our daredevil stuff. hero. Yeah, that's that. That's my stick, right there. So, <laughs> um, not much nicer. Yeah, uh, this is uh, this is a, hey. So Tasty Cake just commented at the sick ass daredevil hat I'm wearing. It it's very good from uh, Kevo. So Tim, but yeah. Oh, thank you. Um. Anyway, I. To go all the way back, Timeless, if Timeless had taken a a more known author and somebody who has a little more cachet right now, which that's even tough. I love the idea. When you said Alyssa Wong, I love that idea. But I think maybe Alyssa Wong is not as well known as I would like, and that's a frustration in and of itself. Uh, At the same time, like Hickman is not 
being treated like the Titan that he used to be at Marvel. So it's, I kind of don't know who would write a timeless that would be like, Oh shoot, that guy's writing timeless. Um, like maybe it would be Jason Aaron leading up to Jason Aaron actually doing big work at Marvel again. I can't say I wouldn't want it to be Steve Fox or Steve Orlando. I'm sorry. Um, but it's a bummer that timeless so many books which is why i need a break um timeless is a is a weird thing like it it's not it's not a thing it, it, timeless is not a an adjective we use you guys just kind of made that up but that's okay you get to you're marvel i'll take a new adjective inferno wasn't really a thing until you did the second one and now i have a whole theory about what infernos are at marvel and i love it uh i would have gotten behind timeless but this third one it, all it really did was reinforce the idea that this is here for those little panels that say, hey, this is upcoming. And guess what, guys? I didn't need that for Blood Hunt. Nobody needed that for Blood Hunt. Everybody either knows that Blood Hunt is coming or does not care that Blood Hunt is coming. Nobody saw that one panel and was like, I got to know what's going on with my favorite team of Avengers that's about to get canceled anyway. And a bunch of you don't even know they're vampires. They just look like monsters. Nobody said that. So maybe this didn't have the effect you thought it did. And, you know, I want to talk like so let's get into the, the, yeah. the one issue. Actually, I want to talk about the one issue that came out today without getting too spoilery um, because I say we get totally spoilery, a, a little spoilery because nothing happened. Us, yeah. But it leads yeah. us into our, our solicit coverage. Yeah. Right. Uh, today we got the fall of the house of X number one. And it reminded me of something I hadn't thought of in a long time. And it's how it's been like a, a slow dissolve into realizing this for the last couple of months. But I forgot how long ago I became unhappy with the Krakoan era and how much I worked to convince myself that it is a um, a really significant thing for me at all times. Like, I felt like if at any point I had turned my back on the Krakoan era, it would be my fault that it failed. Um, but one of the things that I feel like... I'm getting from the closure in the fall of the house of X number one is this is trying to tie in a whole bunch of stuff that they've left behind and that they've thrown away like mutant circuits. So looking at this cover for number three, I find myself really curious about how we're getting here. The one big thing that happened in this issue that I just draw jaw dropped is Krakoa, the <laughs> Island the little boy island. The little boy island. My favorite. Spit Amber on Nimrod and then ate him. And then got up and walked. Just took a walk. Left. Just hiked. Just peaced out. Uh, yes. That was, that, that was the X-Men moment of the year. When yeah. he was like, I have been covered in Amber. I am compromised. <laughs> yep. Uh, it was super good and like that's the thing there's so many elements that I'm just like if you guys really were so uncomfortable with queer people being like this is our anthem this is our island we would all like to go here and get away from the heterosexuals uh, and just have paradise I get it X-Men's got to be real common denominator but there was still cool stuff from Krakoa that wasn't that 
things like Krakoa itself, Arako, Okara, um, things like mis- mutant circuits. God damn it! Mutant circuits, that Mysterium, which cute that went on for like three pages. Comment. Yeah, and also like it's. I love the idea that the fastball special is the original mutant circuit. That's a very cool thing to say once. But it's not a great, like, let's keep bringing up the reference and then, like, having them make jokes about the reference. And, um, you know, we're, Mysterium is in uh, Jerry Duggan's Iron Man, where uh, Jerry Duggan's Iron Man is going to get a Mysterium suit. I love that. I just feel like in uh, From the Ashes, they're never going to mention Mysterium again uh maybe they will maybe i'll be proved wrong that would be cool but it's just yeah all these elements are sitting here and uh, you know another big one that's much more recent and isn't really a dropped element but doesn't didn't fit well being brought into this issue is the brood war that we just did right before uh the hellfire gala and the fall of x uh, I liked that storyline a lot. I loved the coordination of the crossover between the end of Captain Marvel and X-Men. There was some fantastic Scott and Jean uh, marriage. Boy. So, Yeah, Brew is one of the greatest characters of all time. He's adorable and awesome. He is my son, uh, <laughs> and I raised him very well uh, to lead his uh, xenomorph analogs into the next generation. Um so I love that he's there. I love all of that. But it does kind of feel like you guys are acting like you didn't just put us in a six-month gap where we were treading water. So this brew, this uh, you know, Polaris showing up and talking to Brew would have made sense if it had happened one or two months after that last X-Men issue with the Brood. But because it has been such a long time with so much stuff that is basically like forget everything we're trapped in this bubble of krakoan misery as it's all falling apart when you have lorna show up and be like brew get in on the action it just doesn't have the same oomph that it might have had had you like really not sapped all the joy out of this time by putting us in the fall of hex it's why his name is spider-man and not arachnid human male because the way you present things really does make a humongous difference. And the sort of nuance you um, you you play against it matters. And so in many ways, as much as I don't want to say it this way, but this does feel like you spent so much time trying to act like everything was normal in this. We're getting ready for the final year era that you've kind of burnt out our ability to buy it. And then with the little bits that we saw in, um, Oh no, Tim. Uh, so Tim Burnham is asking, yeah, I'm pulling um, up the exact issues. Uh, Tim Burnham is asking like, where does that brew King brood storyline kind of fall in, in many ways? It's this in many ways, this is, uh, them following up on those threads. Um, well, so the original story is in, it starts in X-Men 18 and goes through X-Men 21 and it starts in Captain Marvel 43 and goes through Captain Marvel 50. Um, Tim, uh, Tim also just said, feel free to uh, tell me to do the issue digging on my own. Why would we do that? No, we, we love to her. do a little, 
little research. Uh, so yeah, it's X-Men 18 through 21 and Captain Marvel 43 through 49, really, but also 50. Uh, and it's a crossover, so it's happening in two stories. Carol's got a very specific thing going on uh, that is brood adjacent. And then the X-Men uh sort of some of the x-men like rogue catch on to the carol stuff because they're big carol stands and some of them are just really uh very upset about the brood um and some of them love brew because of course everybody should love brew so you know things come to a head and it's fun it's a really good i think it's a great thing all the way through um in a time where yeah like nico said krakoa was a little bit flagging for me um that crossover really felt like it could have taken place during the height of Krakoa being my favorite and being totally great. What? What's the laugh? No, I'm just, I just love little you in the corner. Oh, hi, I'm there. Uh, so I'm there our, in my little, my little Henley in my little, I'm a little teapot stance. Our, uh, our podcast listeners can't see our adorable new mascots designed by incredible artist Tori. Tori! Uh, you guys should reach out to her. If you guys ever want some amazing design work, she is so Yeah, talented. you should. Um, and I just, I just, I, I'm imagining them all coming out of him, and so everything he's just like, yeah, wow, and he's just like so sweet. Um, anyway, I liked I, you know, uh, Tim, I I do recommend that this particular story. It's great for both Captain Marvel and the X Men, and like I said, I I feel like it could kind of take place anywhere. Um, the meat of it there's a lot there's a little a lot of little side references where they're like and as we know everything sucks but um you know the the real meat of it takes uh, feels like it could take place anywhere and it's a classic x-men brood story with a lot of great new elements but you know to to the you know, to what we were talking about referencing it here with the time that has happened in the middle that has just been abject misery and a continuing promise that all of the stuff that you love is decaying has been not you know not my favorite but it was cool i mean lorna looked awesome and it's tough because one of the things that i kind of think haunts the uh kind of like the nature of the general thing going on at x-men right now is a sense that for a minute Krakoa was the coolest fucking thing you could be. It was so cool that other comics were kind of like, we know we're not Krakoa, but by us anyway, nearly word for word in the solicit. Um, there were books that were like, if you don't buy one, if you buy one book that is not X-Men this month, let it be this. And, yep. you know, um, I'm really having my, uh, my, my moment with my man. And if you're wondering who my man is, it's this guy. I really had a moment with my husband, Sinestro, who was the most perfect man who's ever lived. And I love him so much. I'm reading all of Green Lantern, beginning to end. And um, it's something I've done for Daredevil, Hellblazer, Sandman, X-Men. And I feel like it makes me a better fan of a, of a fiction. Um, the space cops are pretty amazing. Uh, in the 60s, back when they are not cops, they are just adventurers with imaginations. Um, they get kind of ruined, uh, but I, what, what I want to get to is I'm really trying to remember what I used to love about DC. I actually had equal DC and Marvel collections and was as big a fan of Daredevil uh, and Batman, actually. I, I think I've read every issue of Batman like 1975 to 1999. 
Uh, I'm just a humongous Batman stan, actually, IRL. Uh, but my Batman collection was ruined by a flood, and I could never go back uh, because it would be impossible to have recreated it. So one of the things that I'm really eager to do in this uh, new period of time is I'm trying to think about uh, DC as not just like the rival to Marvel, which we cover, but I'm trying to think about the ways that DC and Marvel's storytelling are balanced forces. And to see that five or six of the top 10 books this past year in sales, as TK provided to me, was, uh, you know, Batman. You know, Batman was a uh, humongous predominance and the Batman run going on at DC is a result of the, I think in many ways, Chips Darsky's brilliant run over on Daredevil. And that synergy is kind of reminding me that I need to keep my eyes open to what's going on everywhere. I'm kind of in many ways glad that these covers make it look like everything I love about X-Men is about to take a big reset. If you're going to kill Sinister, by all means, let it be Wolverine best kill of my life um moira girl you are ruined let this laser just erase you from time i always like jean best when she's dying as the phoenix so this is like perfect i feel you um i this is happening um it's a weird thing to go back to the, to what you said right before this like krakoa being the coolest i do think goes really to this idea that it was huge for queer people and queer people trans people the lgbtq community we are tastemakers the stuff that we love trickles down uh and let's be real a lot of it we get from uh people of color and cultures of color um and the kind of translation import that happens so we're not really the tastemakers we're we're often the taste finders for the broader world we're like I know, bad rabbits not quite bad bunnies i know for a lot of people i am the non-threatening friend that hears about like certain music and stuff uh that they will I, that i'm not even i don't discover i hear from people cooler than i am but i sort of disseminate it to a bunch of people in the suburbs wait so are you a culture gateway for cis people yes okay because uh, because i am the safe uh, you know, cis white male friend that isn't too controversial to follow on uh, Instagram. And and it's so funny, like uh, to so many people in my life, I'm the weird guy. Um, and I'm like of like my queer community and like the broader community that I'm part of that I feel really close to. I'm like the most normal, boring. I'm in bed at nine o'clock person. Uh, and so many I get so many like friends with children uh you know heterosexuals with children who are settled down who are like you are wild my friend i mean yeah it's weird because like if you say to your straight friends oh poppers they're like oh my god poppers but if you like say to your gay friends poppers they're like wait a minute those aren't even the good poppers, poppers you fucking I loser my own poppers in my vcr yeah it is exactly that so you know krakoa was really for a lot of us like this this is the thing this is what's great get into it and i think a lot of normies for lack of a better term were kind of like oh this is cool and weird okay i'm into it and then when we went past that mark where you know maybe hickman had originally planned to end this and it kept going and the stories got a little bit weirder and uh you but know like 
comic weirder, not advancing ideas and no, exactly, weirder. exactly. Not it's funny because as they got weirder to mainstream comics, they kind of got less and less like you know the the weirder in quotes they got uh, the less Scott Jean and Logan were a polyamorous couple, uh, you know. So it it just took this weird turn. And I think a lot of queer people have really pulled out of feeling like this is a book that talks about the stuff that we feel and that represents our world. And when I hear more, you know, kind of disgruntled fans of the Krakoan era who are not queer, a lot of what they say is like, well, I didn't get any of that. And I thought it was all weird. The X-Men were all tree people. Uh, And I just kind of want to say like, you do not have to be a homosexual to kind of queer your ideology and queer your thinking about things. And to me, that's what I kind of thought Krakoa would do when I first started reading it was like, make a space where even if you are a Scott Summers, like even if you are a pretty boring straight lace milk toast dude, there's a way to kind of queer your thinking and to Krakoa your thinking, if you'd like a better term and to realize that there are forces that keep you from, enjoying the life that you ought to that you should fight against and you should say no to and that was really a huge message of Krakoa when it started for me that I thought was for everybody and it just seems like rather than continue with that message they went with there's some bad guys the X-Men hate bad guys let's fight the bad guys you know, you just really hope that after the whole Nick Jonas thing that Aaron Rodgers would just be like, there's room in my heart for all sorts of twinks. But um, it just really felt like the... Uh, Wait, hold on. Why did you bring up Aaron Rodgers specifically? Well, because there's that famous Aaron Rodgers, Nick Jonas. Uh, yeah. yeah. But I only asked because just today, like just now, Aaron Rodgers got on some news program and said that Jimmy Kimmel is on the Epstein list. And he absolutely is not. Uh, and Jimmy Kimmel cl- clapped back real hard. Uh, and I, like, I don't want to be that problematic guy, but I, to this day, think I am fucking Matt Damon is the funniest. It's, oh, it's the funniest. It is. Is it it one is. of the greatest bits of all time. Of all time. Not one yeah. you were going. The anyway. moment where Matt Damon starts doing the pony is uh, one of the most redeeming moments I have ever seen a semi-problematic person have on screen. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that it was truly fantastic. Yes. Um, but wow. No, uh, I was saying it because the other day I was sipping whiskey sours at a bar. You? Me. And uh, while I was sipping whiskey sours at the bar, they had ESPN, ESPN2 and ESPN News on. And the same very handsome gentleman in a suit was jumping show to show. And uh, meanwhile, on the Pat McAfee show, they had Aaron Rodgers. And I had to explain to uh older boyfriend. A hot older boyfriend that uh, Aaron Rodgers has some chicken hawk rumors. So we just got banned uh, by several NFL teams. Anyway. Uh, oh, no. Uh, that crossover demo. Uh, the big thing I do want to talk about with these three covers up, though, because uh, we have and it's 30 minutes. We got to get to the fucking show. I know. Um, the. I got to ask, how do you feel about the Phoenix? You know, one of the things that everybody said was in so many ways that the the Krakoan age kind of represented the de-Phoenixification of the X-Men. Everybody kind of had their own access to their own thing that kind of was the Phoenix in a weird yeah. way. 
here we're seeing that one of the things that is true of the Marvel Universe is that even though time iterates uniquely across, you know, many aspects of cross-line marketing, one thing is that once something becomes a core element of storytelling, there's no getting away from it. I truly believe seeing Jean laying in that Phoenix blood in many ways implies that in 15 years, we could see a return to Krakoa the same way that the X-Men saw From the Ashes be a major thing in the 90s as a result of the success of the Phoenix Saga throughout the late 70s and early 80s. Yeah, um, I actually think it'll be less than that. Uh, I think we'll be back to Krakoa in, in less time than that. Although I think at that point, it might be like a mini where the extreme X-Men go back to Krakoa. Um, oh god it's that secret invasion mini we didn't understand earlier this year yeah. <laughs> oh my god last year right 2024 people it's here year. it's queer get into it um this year it's queer it's a leap year because it's divisible by four. Oh yeah yes um gene and the phoenix you know of, of course i I will say I am interested in studying the ways that DC has managed to pull away a little bit from a lot of their like status quo markers by doing all of the universe resets and splitting a part of the universe and putting the universe back together. Their continuity is now so messy that it doesn't matter in the same way. Uh, and you know, of course Bruce's parents are always going to have been murdered um but that's kind of more like an uncle ben will always have been murdered thing we don't do what no and that i'm so glad you brought it up because i keep meaning to bring it up but i keep getting yeah. distracted by how much i love your hat the most unbelievable thing i saw in the timeless video preview that marvel released on new year's eve is i am not positive but it really looks like in the from the ashes preview it is either Xavier in a Magneto helmet in the wheelchair yeah. or yeah. Magneto in yes. the wheelchair. Saw that too. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I would really love it if it was like Destiny in a Magneto helmet in an Xavier but, wheelchair. But, but the thing true. is, there's a there's a Fall of X, Fall of House of X thing where uh, somebody is in the chair. Hold on. Oh, hold on. I'm going to pull this one up. Um. I'm also, just for the record, so everybody understands, we actually exist outside of this weird liminal space. And um, earlier today, I managed to, despite working and teaching and stuff, get through an entire watch through of the 2001 concert of Sweeney Todd. So I'm just in a bearing all of my feelings about powerful, flawed women place. Uh, oh, my God. So you did watch it? Yeah. How was it? I mean, it's it's Patty Lapone singing. Oh yeah, of it. and uh, it's the original Sondheim staging. So uh, the insane level of um, uh, like counter tenor into the um, the crescendo at the end for Beetle Bamford and Pirelli is like the most incredible bit of falsetto in the history of musical theater. Oh, it's so good. Um. So anyway, there's this this fall of or rise of uh, powers of X cover. Uh, and I'm not saying that that's what Timeless is referencing, um, but I chair there. It, I think it's Sync. That's what I thought. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I think this is going to be a future. You know, they're going to kill that Moira and then get weird futures or something. Um, so my my point is like, I think 
from the ashes might be giving us some of this action some of this like it's alternate history it's kind of uh some different age of apocalypse where you know rather than magneto naming his son after charles he decides to just sit down forever in a chair like charles did um it'll be something like that um and that, that sort of speaks to this idea that i'm like i don't think you know we're if i see an image like that i immediately am like no but that's not the they're back at the school status quo that marvel always wants to get back to so whatever that image is that's probably like another five month mini from a semi alternate universe that we're doing i don't know i could be entirely wrong um but we're just kind of in this place where i don't see things in the same way um that makes me wonder a little bit about something I've wondered about. Yeah. If the Marvel universe and its effort to create a synergistic bigger picture with the cinematic universe, if they would work to do something sort of like a um, kind of like the canker fiction infection from unwritten that uh, affected Judsus, not trying to be that guy right now, bringing up that work right now. Go but, for it. Um, you know, the idea that we can so pervert an idea to the point where it, alienates the ideals that created the first work you know i wonder if we might see something along the lines of x-men 97 literally infringing on the quality of the marvel universe and we see this sort of ripple effect where alternate versions of history infect the standard marvel universe in a way that leads us to have to reevaluate what is canon and what is revised canon. Because I think these covers in particular, uh, the next set that we're going to have up there, whether it is uh, Shadow Cat with a K, um, Invincible Iron Man defeating Phalong, which I can't think of anything I think as uh, completely irrelevant as Phalong is. And a good thing that Iron Man is going to be the one to take him down. That Resurrection of Magneto cover is, um, well, a lot of people called that for Shadow King. And uh, man, oh man, I have feelings about X-Force. Yeah, um, to your question about, you know, what's going to happen with continuity and all of these kind of sources that we're drawing from over the next few years... um, And that was sort of why I was like, maybe I need to study DC a little bit more because it didn't happen because of DCEU, but it did happen because of their comic stuff where they just had so many Batmen that they were like, this is a relevant Batman and this is a relevant Batman, but this one is married to Catwoman and this one murdered Catwoman and this one is Catwoman's mom as Batman and this is the Batman who laughs. And just having to figure out how to make them all coexist, they did different stuff they 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 did their multiverse their way i'm not i'm not qualified to speak on it so i'm not going to say a ton but like no you're you're nailing it i mean like your i think what i want to say is without sounding insulting of your knowledge base your novice level expertise is belying the same fundamental that an expert level expertise would uh indicate and i think that says they did it right then right exactly exactly and i just think we're in this space where we don't really understand a lot of what's happening at marvel uh because we do get these things where it's like okay uh you know nick fury 
the most successful Nick Fury is is black is Samuel L. Jackson, and we we had black Nick Fury in Ultimates. So uh, and and our Nick Fury wasn't that cool. White Nick Fury was David Hasselhoff. He wasn't that cool. So we didn't losing him wasn't the end of the world to anybody. Okay, um, but did you remember when they made incredibly sexy son of Nick Fury happen? Who was Nicholas Joseph Fury Jr. And yes. he was so beautiful. He was like the no offense, Samuel L. Jackson, a very handsome man in his own fashion. This was the. Uh, Tyrese version of young Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. It was gorgeous. Well, and it's this is where Marvel gets screwy because this was like one solution to what to do about the fact that the most popular Nick Fury is black. And then they had a second solution, which is import the comic inspiration for Samuel L. Jackson being Nick Fury. And it's just like Okay, I great that you guys had a backup system in play. There were redundancies in case something went wrong, but it's also comics. Um, and now it's just like Nick Fury is black Nick Fury, which is cool. But we, I grew up with white Nick Fury. I don't need him back, but I do kind of need to know what happened to him. I think uh, he could have just been real time aged, fly a uh, man on the wall. Man on the Moon, Nick Fury from a. I can't say enough how I think the Marvel Universe should have ended at Original Sin. I can't do this again. Yeah, I mean, I, but that's so that's the thing. I do know that that's what happened to him. Nick Fury becomes the Man on the Wall, uh, which is actually a really good potential stopping, you know, a reset point. Um, and that's the thing. They also did Secret Wars, which was another place to reset the universe for real and to pull up because by that point we'd had a bunch of the mcu films and they also knew their plan for the next four years which would have taken us to endgame uh because secret wars was 20 2015 things might have changed a little bit sure but they basically knew what they were doing and literally the universe ended they had every option possible to say how things start after secret wars and they really could have made stuff a lot more like how the MCU was, if that was how they needed things to go. Um, and instead we cut up piecemeal and we kind of like wiggle in little replacements or it's just like a character who's not black just gets shaded darker and darker over 10 years and is, you, suddenly we introduce their African mom. Oh um, my God, no, seriously. It is some, oh God, and now I feel really upset with myself because I had the joke queued up and now I can't think of what girl group she's from. Um, uh, Jesse from a uh, little mix. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Little mix. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Jesse from, from little mix. Yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. She's such a great singer. And that I is know. actually, that's actually the point I want to make. Marvel does these sorts of manipulations. Yeah. There's some characters. of them are really smart. Exactly. They, they do it only with characters. They know they can get away with. Yeah. That's why they said Nick Fury should be black. That's great. But you could never make Peter Parker latino so they had to just say miles morales you have a clear yeah. way into the marvel universe yeah yeah and then you know miles morales great example because miles morales got pulled in you know the idea that there are two nick furies and uh one of them retire like rather than i love man on the wall so i don't actually care that that's how it ends but it's confusing and you can't tell somebody when somebody goes wait but the nick fury that i know was always that white guy what happened to him it's very difficult to be like, well, a dude who is just an eye on a neck 
saw a bunch and to tell the story of how now Nick Fury is man on the wall and black Nick Fury is Nick Fury it would have just made much more sense to be like there were two universes and the other ones Nick Fury came in and took over that's a fine explanation uh and I do yeah I do kind of worry when I look at things like X-Men 97 that we're gonna pollute an already really difficult and complicated continuity set which is everything that happens with the x-men without any external interference uh with now needing to be like the mcu and just when we talk about weird steps that are taken to make the things align and i look at stuff like this uh i can see where the worry and the concern comes in i really really can um i do i will say i do love this this uh shadow cat and magic cover though i think i love shadow cat and magic no matter what i think yeah. you know unless it's exploitative or in a, a form that is clearly not true to the friendship the romance and the sisterhood that these two women share i don't think there's a whole lot of shadow cat and magic i'm not down with uh that said jerry duggan's view of shadow cat far outstrips his view of magic. I don't mean to say that he has a plebeian view of Ileana Rasputin, but he does not elevate her in the way he elevates Emma, Aurora, or Kate. And, you know, for that reason, I may be a little happy that magic's going to find herself in someone new's hands. I get that. Um, if this is the book that canonizes them being in a relationship, uh, and it's written by Jerry Duggan, that will be exceedingly funny to me. Yeah, no, I mean, that's like finding out that every one of those Kim Dawson Skinamax movies was written by a really, really evolved lesbian. Yes. It's one of those things where it's like, this cannot possibly come from that person. Yes. Um, You'd be surprised. But, yeah, no, but until we discover the Kierkegaard of Kim Dawson, um, I want to point out that Phalong being felled in Invincible Iron Man is sort of like, what if we took all of the problems with Phalong and dumped him off on a book that had already had all of the problems of Phalong? Uh, the least interesting X-Men villain in the last 15 years. And yeah, he actually is a great Tony Stark villain. So I'm thrilled that he's going over to Iron Man to be defeated. Um, I... I agree and I disagree. I think he yeah, is no, great. The, the the story fulfillment guy in me is super disappointed. Uh, well, there's that. There's also like I think he's great as um, as a Marvel villain. And mm. the thing about Orcus, Phalong, X Men, Iron Man, like this is all Marvel stuff. It doesn't just need to be X Men stuff. The thing that really didn't work about Phalong is he started as an X Men villain who doesn't like that they're disrupting industry. Industry isn't really an X Men thing, although it always should be. And there are times where it comes out X Corp. Anytime Emma Frost or Charles or Warren talk about money, uh, Wilson Fisk showing up, there are clear ways in which uh, you know the X Men this whole time with Krakoa and before should have been doing financial chess with the other big players they don't and so if you throw them into it and go like no it's really important it comes off as disingenuous so when you give them a villain who is uh an elon musk type and are like no this is really important because you know money and the x-men the x-men have money and the money guy doesn't like them sure technically i buy it because i i can put two and two together and understand how creating new pharmaceuticals that you know and giving them away is a financial disruptor and so a guy isn't going to like that and he's yeah 
totally all makes sense but it does really make a lot more sense that iron man gets in the mix it's just it happened really it only happened a year ago where Krakoa started in 2019 uh Iron Man was very busy with Jason Aaron's Avengers during most of that and the fact that it never came up for him during that time that he was like the X-Men are doing big financial stuff and I could help because I like when people introduce life-saving drugs I can I could put money towards you know getting them out as well i could financially invest i could work with warren you know it didn't have to be emma even uh the fact that it just came up a year ago and it's just like jerry duggan being like you know it's marvel editorial and jerry duggan being like these things are really interconnected just get into it with us it's very like it feels very cocaine filled like i just had some really good ideas we're gonna do them all emma frost is gonna show up we're gonna get a mysterium suit fey long's there he's angry and now it's like okay video game, video game, video game. And now it's all shutting down with the Elon Musk type, but good, fighting the Elon Musk type, but bad. Uh, sure, whatever. I It's less that I'm like, this is good for Iron Man, and more that I'm like, the X-Men didn't also need this guy that was never written correctly for them. Especially if you don't have all of the back matter to flesh out that idea. You know, right. that like the X-Men have always had industry as a core element of storytelling, whether it's, uh, you know, Warren Industries or it's Frost Industries or, you know, hell, it's the storyline later on where Xavier has always had well-placed investments. All, you know, there are so many arguments that the X-Men have always, you know, had humongous financial ties and have always been huge financial players. And the idea that you have to push it off to Iron Man, I guess, is a little belittling of that storyline. Yeah, it just, you know, it it's it's belittling because you can't keep having the mansion blow up get rebuilt a week later and have there be a one-liner where xavier goes my parents had money um who are you getting your interest from because i'm looking to invest <laughs> a little bit more money in a competitive stock portfolio for real sir he's building danger rooms again in a week thanks damage control uh so you know to to pull those out but then be like the only person who can fight the evil billionaire is the good billionaire what are you talking about warren's a good billionaire emma's a good bill are you kidding me uh she bought a whole she just walked up to a guy and was like i'll take your island and then he just gave it to her but marky zuck zuck now that's who should be their next big villain and it shouldn't be coded it should be mark zuckerberg it's just mutant facebook all over right yes um Okay, let's turn our eyes to uh, Resurrection of Magneto for one second. Uh, Shadow King, whatever. Magneto coming back, kind of whatever. Uh, Storm being involved, love that. Al yeah. Ewing being involved, love that. But the book itself, I just don't know that I'm really motivated toward. His death was less than a year ago. This feels in so many ways, perhaps, like an attempt to reclaim Trial of Magneto as a hit instead of as an awkward miss for a then very profitable line that I think showed its first major crack at the trial. So technically it was more than a year ago. Remember we're in 2024 now. Um, barely though. Like it was a year ago. Um, and I, you know, I, they were of course going to bring him back. Uh, fine. Whatever. I would have rather this was in the pages of X-Men red going to 24 issues. 
Um, because what that says to me is we're not cheapening this with the idea that it's a it's a big deal and we never do this. You know what I mean? Uh, it's I mean you literally just set up Krakoa and said everybody comes back. Uh, so that's fine. I love that. Sure, everybody does come back. So like let's. But then don't don't do this don't be like can you believe this guy came back from the dead here's a whole book about it uh yeah it doesn't matter like because you also just did this with bobby can you believe this guy got died at the gala and came back from the gene died again exactly gene uh died at the gala and gene died at the gala man they showed us her skeleton with hair in its hat hold on Um, you imagine the amount of cocaine gene is on in like the white hot room i mean the white hot room right now to try and be in like six books while dead the last time gene gray was in this many books or on this much cocaine reaganomics were still wreaking havoc on the american electorate and i just uh really gene gray is running full she a busy girl uh tori it's a two-fold answer to your question of why eric wasn't brought back by krakoa one uh by the time he would uh well no that's not true sorry it's just the one answer uh he deleted his backups and everything else and said that uh, it was basically why he should be allowed to lead arako because they are all warrior people that die and don't resurrect uh, he said, I will be like you. I will be the strongest among you. And if I'm if I'm dead, I'll die like you. You know, If I'm not worthy, um, I won't come back. And so he deleted all of his backups. We all thought that it would turn out that Charles kept one uh, because he would need his boyfriend back. And I still kind of think that might be what happens. Um, but that is that is the answer um the problem with that magneto is he has absolutely no aggression or aggressive tendencies outside of bed because charles made that one for himself true yeah he wouldn't be very uh that reference was for tory pretty much (laughs) you know we all have a little bit of ao3 in us uh and you know she is an incredible senator so um right ao3 you're the worst um it's funny because it's the third letter of the alphabet oh well, let's yeah. talk about like third from the end. X-Force, um, burn it. It's a bummer because burn it, but don't, man. This is another one where I'm just, I'm so frustrated because it is a good book, but Duggan gets too much special treatment. Uh, and it's not even that he doesn't deserve it. He, you, Duggan should have wrote Timeless. Duggan's their guy. Or sorry, this is uh, Percy, not Duggan. But it's the same thing for Percy. Um, I Percy actually and- thought that you were making an argument that Percy and Duggan essentially are, you know, orbit the same way in the X They do. Office. They do. And yes. Duggan is given elevated treatment. Yeah. Percy is treated as like the dark side of things. Yeah. Yet, I'm not sure why they both don't get the same both criticisms and acclaim because they're essentially running parallel stories exactly uh well they're essentially running parallel tracks but they aren't running parallel stories and that's what frustrates me these how come these two guys can't talk how come the books are so like x-force and wolverine are so siloed until x slack right like we were told so much about how these guys were all just best friends but duggan or percy should have written that timeless because they're the two guys that i can think of that one have got uh lines running that have run for years nobody else gets that um and that's why i suggested aaron because aaron is the last person who really got that is aaron kelly thompson uh jed mckay and duggan and percy 
And so Duggan or Percy should have written that timeless because they clearly are company men to Marvel. They're clearly big guys. They're the guys that they want to keep writing. That's fine. I don't always agree with what they write. Uh, it's not always my favorite. Again, I just will never say enough good things about Percy's Ghost Rider. Percy's horror novels are phenomenal. I love the guy. I really do. And I really like this X-Force. It frustrates me how often it does whatever it wants regardless of what is happening. The idea that this group of people and Beast wouldn't have a lot more to say about Sinister in the lead up to Sins of Sinister, during Sins of Sinister, Sinister post Sins of Sinister, is insane to me. Uh, and I definitely yeah. need the lies of Linzer Tart now. Yes. The way you were like, Sins of Sinister. <laughs> yeah. That is actually just, I want to say that one of the things that I think is really starting to sometimes crowd the storytelling yeah. is the desire to have clever names. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we're getting to a point where like yeah we get it we're gonna buy the fucking book whether there's a pun or not Calm yeah down. yeah exactly that's the thing nobody is gonna be like oh age of uh a e c s x man weapon uh, engines yeah oh, ghostwriter wolverine yeah exactly um so i love this team i love what they did uh i liked the personal storytelling i liked their mission a lot um and you know, Quentin as a as a uh, mentee to Wolverine was I thought made a lot of sense. I don't I didn't always like how it went, but I really liked that Percy identified that Quentin would be somebody that needed. And it's there's precedent for it that happened. That was in, great. That part yeah. was great. Yep, all of that was great. The adamantium surfboard was not good. I know. Oh, I know. I meant uh, killing Quentin and turning him into an old man was kind of weird. Yes, that was weird. Um. I even liked making Omega Red a good guy. You know, the idea that Krakoa would um, level out some of the bad guys because a lot of their badness was not super villainy. It was not doing what the X-Men wanted. Um, well, and just to touch on Omega Red, how much of yeah. Omega Red was coded? He is Russian. It is 1993. So we right. him as evil. Exactly. Was he evil or was he just the same thing as an American in Russia? And right. like, that really is a humongous part of what this era of redemption was all about. And that's such a funny thing to bring up because Russia is then treated like Russia during the Cold War in Krakoa. Russia is one of the only places that doesn't recognize Krakoan sovereignty in a way that feels super evil. Even by the end of all this, Doom gets a reprieve where he's like, uh, I just thought that this might go badly for mutants and I wanted to protect Latverian mutants. So right. rather than uh, just giving you guys carte blanche, I just was quiet and did my Doom thing. But I'm not going to hurt any of you. Here's a really big dinner good luck and call me if you really need my help because I want to protect mutants, especially the Latverian ones. But Russia is still one of the most evil countries, all the rest of whom are fictional, <laughs> uh, that doesn't recognize Krakoa. Uh, you know, Mikhail, one of the worst villains of the era, but again, that's something that makes no sense because he's not affiliated with the most vi evil villains of the era, which are Orcus, whatever, setting it aside. I love that they brought Omega Red in and turned him into a force for good in a way that really felt like exactly what you said they recognize like he was just an american in another country sir he was a patriot from another country that was serving his country uh and now that he has said like this is my country he's doing the same thing loved it thought it was a great idea this is one of those things that i think from the ashes will just delete uh and 
Hello, Ally Galactic. We are nerds. We're yelling about the X Men, and we love it. Um. Anyway, <laughs> this this book, uh, its last issue tied into Fall of X in like four pages, having people be like, "Now we are part of the Fall of X. We are here now. There are mutants here with us. Look, my son, who was in Fall of X, just showed up. I will tell him I love him. Let's all hug. End of issue." They were not involved at all for six months. It's really crazy because one of the things that I think is really interesting is how long I spent. And like, this is maybe a little bit personal. I spent so much of like, I guess, age 10 to age 37 thinking that if I finally looked like Colossus, I would be cool. If I finally just shredded and just trend up, I would finally be cool. Made my skin metal. Got a Uh, cool flat top. Oh, yeah. All of these things with the widow's peak made of metal. Um, what I came to realize is Colossus isn't cool. No, not at all. Not at all. He's big. Um, and being big is cool, but uh, being cool is cooler. And I think one of the things that this X-Force suffers from is it's trying to find ways to shape stories out of a big is cool era. And it's struggling to look inward and find the deeper meaning in that. Now, there are people who become gigantic and become uh, truly inspirational. I'm not saying that becoming humongous is not a an incredible thing for everyone. And uh, that is not Jubilee Tasty Cake. That is Sage. And she is roughly as cool as Jubilee. But uh, if you're into... Cool in very different ways. Yeah, she's cool if you're into uh, like Microsoft uh, Excel. Yes. And Jubilee is cool if you're into like uh Microsoft Minesweeper, you know? So uh I, I didn't have anything. Um okay. but one of the things that I really think about this particular run of X Force and into the Krakoan era is covers can only take you so far. Yeah. Under that giant metal skin, there's a broken little boy. And kind of sort of inside of this X-Force comic, there is a damaged line that just can't quite get itself together waiting for a reboot. I'm going to always, just like Ally Galactic, think that X-Men are cool even when they are bad. But, uh, you know, the other side... Who, who did I have that battle with? Um, Not me. <laughs> um, <laughs> other than, you know, the fact that the real achievement of X-Men is giving people who feel very lost a place to try and find themselves, which is what I sought to do in guys like Colossus for 25 years. I really think that this era coming to an end is a gift because we have really reached the pinnacle of what Marvel will allow storytelling to do within this story. So uh, it's time to move on. And I think giving Colossus this new focus over in the fall of the house of X as somebody trying to reclaim his people's dignity in some ways is a whole lot better than the broken Russian comrade that uh, we've seen play out in this last 49 issues of X-Force. Yeah, I think you're, I think you are right. Um, I, I could go longer about the criticism of resolving Colossus's storylines that started really early in the Krakoan era. Uh, but ultimately I think, it is a blessing in this case to have just said like, oh, okay, we're finished with it. Um, now he's in, and it, that really is how it played out. Like it was just like 
they they drew this out for so long and then it feels like maybe Percy thought the era was going to continue a lot longer than it was and didn't have exit strategies for some of these stories um and so you know at the end of the day sure uh go for it oh i was just smiling at you because you're cool oh that's fun um I don't mind that, like, in one issue, the last issue of X-Force, they were just like, okay, all good now. Let's go help out the mutants, the you know, everybody else. And now Colossus is exactly as you said uh, in uh, Fall of the House of X, doing fastball specials with Wolverine, not having any, like, existential crises. TGI Fridays took every good thing off the menu except for the whiskey chicken. And uh, that is how I feel about Colossus. They went ahead and they cleared out every cool thing about him and turned him into just this one note thing. Sure. It's just iterations of this fast food idea of Colossus. Yep. I'm really sure. eager to see them try and find something new for him in, uh, from the ashes. All right. Let's move on to some new books. Yeah. Cover me, Kevo. Um, I mean, these are technically new books, but. Oh, yeah. Um, here's the thing about Dead X-Men. <sighs> no. This, this is like Resurrection of Magneto. However they come back, they were all killed. Uh, you know, this was this was the team of X-Men that was voted in at the gala that Nimrod dropped from Atmosphere onto, violently killing the f most diverse person of color team Uh what? No, that one's for Ali Galactic. Speaking Put it of up. all of the House of X, I love it when Wolverine says Reckon. Yes, I agree. Every once in a while, uh, a particular author gets their hand on Wolverine and goes real heavy with the, like, wolvie slang. I would love um, to be Reckon Wolverine right about now. For sure. That little... Different channel. Um, the biggest bummer about this is uh, seeing captain britain in that outfit you know i think the thing that dead x-men makes me question is how much were they willing to really buy into this hellfire gala yeah was this hellfire gala a speed bump or was it really meant to be a toll booth you know like speed bumps just slow down and you you keep moving you don't really decelerate your car too too much um but you know toll booths you come to a complete stop and you pay your toll we were told that the hellfire gala is a toll booth and that is why it felt so costly we had to come to a complete stop and we had to give something up but dead x-men as an idea so soon after the hellfire gala really cheapens what i went through and not in a way that like oh it wasn't so bad more like oh you've stolen from me yeah, and you made us all go through this thing where it was like, you know, sometimes I'll talk about uh, trauma for minorities. And please understand, when I do this, I'm not saying that anybody had to call out of work. Uh, every person that I talked to about this read it and just didn't like it and found it upsetting. I mean, I had to get a trauma counselor. I not only called out of work, I called out of life. I got three divorces. This is very much like, you know, anytime uh, any left-leaning person says any left-leaning thing, left a right-wing person oh, I will just... Left -wing, uh, I the, the left-lings, that's our new name. God damn it, I can't speak today. Anyway, um, a lot of people were very, found it very traumatic watching this team of X-Men just get bloodily murdered uh, in a way that also it was said, like, they're not going to resurrect, uh, you know. 
there were there there have been some really ugly minority deaths during the Krakoan era where the thing that happens is you go, don't worry about it, friend. She got up the next day and she was pissed that she was killed. And then she went and kicked the ass of the guy that killed her. And it's kind of fun. Like it's that dream of all minorities. Like that thing that you suffered through will not be in vain and it will not be the end of you. You will come back and you will take back your power. This was a moment in which, uh, they just all got brutally slaughtered and then everybody left the island. So there's nobody to work the resurrection. Uh, you know, the five weren't there anymore. So this team didn't get to come back. So you have this moment of, for a lot of minority people, real triumph, seeing this team be the new X-Men be the flagship team. Uh, and at the time, a lot of us didn't know that what would happen is they would all, we knew fall of X was coming. Uh, but we didn't know that this group of people was going to die. Um, so they all died and they just died and this book didn't get announced for a long time uh and so now we're in this place where it's just like you made us all sit through that and have that kind of moment of reckoning with each other where we were all like wow that was really disgusting to watch the fascists murder this you know diverse team that so many of us were looking forward to seeing Oh, now you're giving us thank you so much for the gift of this mini called Dead X-Men where they show they don't get to be on the flagship X-Men team. They don't get to be in the ongoing X-Men book that has had 2 years worth of issues. They get this four issue mini that a lot of people are not going to read uh that it centers around Betsy, uh, a white woman. Um, the queer woman, at least, at least we got that. So, you know, whatever I, I, the, this is me being as negative as possible, but like, I'm neutral on this. I'll be really happy to see it. I'm glad these guys are getting some time in the sun, but it feels very much like they were like, we did this for you. I didn't ask for this. Huh. Okay. You knew what you were doing there. I'm very grateful. You know what I didn't ask for? The Sabretooth War. Yeah. Well, I, I hold on. Go. The last fight I needed between Wolverine and Sabretooth uh, came in Assault on Weapons Plus, uh, standing at a urinal. And that, for me, was the final statement on those two characters. They had a very human adult male moment. Um, there was no fight. There was no battle. Sabretooth has literally killed Wolverine. Everything's equal. I'm just ready to move on. I hate, hate seeing Sabretooth doing brain surgery on Wolverine. I hate that the solicit for this issue says, you thought the first five were bloody and violent? Wait till you read what comes next. This is, for me, the nightmare. Yeah, uh, actually, yes. Uh, what I was going to say is I really wanted the the last book in the trilogy of Victor Laval's Sabretooth story. Same. Um, and I don't love that this is a collaboration between Victor Laval and Ben Percy. Cause I don't know what that means. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not gonna kind of go try and get Victor Laval to confirm for me that he was treated properly. That's awkward. Uh, probably not going to happen anyway. Um, and Mr. Laval, if you're watching and would love to come on and uh, talk about how you were treated in any regard, please Positive, negative. We are absolutely your story. Not enough creators are respected and uh, given the opportunity to talk about their experience. 
I don't want to hear about Sabretooth. I want to hear about Victor Laval. Yeah. No, it's true. Uh, 100%. Allie, yes, Wolvie and Sabretooths are going to fight. Uh, they're going to war. Um, Chuck. <laughs> This was originally, you know, who knows what was going to happen with Wolverine, uh, that that the, the Wolverine had the book carried on through two Sabretooth stories without ever touching Sabretooth. So I if Wolverine fought all of the Sabreturfs, though. Yes. Oh, man. A whole alliance of uh, Sabreturfs. Yes. I'm obsessed. Um, this is happening. I don't uh, I mean, like, it could be good. I didn't ask for it. Definitely. But. It could be good. I don't know. You know, and that is the, I do agree with Bradford. Uh, you know, in that previous cover, you mentioned that it's a little disappointing to see Betsy in a costume that we thought she'd left behind. You know, I do love that she looks beautiful in it. Yes. Yeah. Even if it's wrong, something I want to say about every one of these Sabretooth covers, um, even if the story looks wrong to me from the outset, although seeing that Iron Man helmet there now triple. That's, uh, that, no, that's a Sentinel. Oh. Oh. Which is again confusing, and this the that's the Phalong thing because the Phalong Phalong cap down there. So I see where you're confused. No, sorry, that's these are all Sabretooths. Uh, when Sabretooth when Sabretooth ended his last thing, he found out that there's uh oh, there's like a multi yeah. yeah there's like a multiversal Sabretooth society, and they're all just the soul sucking worst. Uh, Steve can't do that. So no, I, I Steve absolutely cannot do I that. Sideburn. Yeah. Um, if you could mutton chops me, uh honestly saber good. the hardest sell for me if you could provide me a saber tooth from the multiverse that i could believe was truly a good good man i know how many people love uh mr creed yeah i was gonna say you don't you don't think mr creed's a good man i hate him uh as a guy who's read every page of exiles as a guy who loves blink there's something about him that always felt like Judd Winnick so idealized that relationship that he didn't play true to what that relationship would have really been. And uh, I guess, you know, I just watched it, so I'm going to make the reference. But, like, yeah, there's some Judge Turpin Joanna shit there. And I don't know that I buy that in the AOA, Creed was always this perfect father. And so there's kind of no version of Sabretooth for me that doesn't feel truly evil and maybe it's because for me the ultimate expression of a saber tooth story is the uh boom boom betsy jeff Loeb story from the 90s i do not like the violence against women but there is something about the psychology of boom boom coming to terms with naivete and moving on that is the encouragement of young women to break free of being told to trust all men that I do really love. It's also like the bad parts about Sabretooth are canon because they were written down. It's just edgy male writers saying that he rapes so that he seems even worse. Oh no, now we can't monetize this. What do we do without that check? If you pull out the, he, he does rape stuff then he does kind of just become a force of nature that isn't doing violence against women it's just like if if you were stuck in a house with a hungry wolf uh and that the unfortunate thing is that like that's the heart of that story is that this girl thought that if she was really nice to the dog the dog would become good uh and animals just don't work like that and so 
things things went off the rails. The problem is Sabretooth is just human enough that some writer can come in and have him be like, and I raped her. And then it's a whole other thing when he pursues a, a feminine presenting character. So, you know, it's a bummer. It has ruined Sabretooth in a lot of ways. Um, I never read all of Exiles, so my Mr. Creed is really the AOA one, uh, which is just limited enough in terms of what you get of his story that I don't... I never went to... Who? About his relationship with Blink. Uh, I can absolutely see it, because I have read enough Exiles that I can see it. Um, But... You know, uh, Axe's Sabretooth was good. <laughs> do you know who I really... This is so insane, but do you know yeah. who I wish could be Nemesis? Yeah. Typhoid Mary versus Sabretooth? Yes. In an effort to, yes. like... No, like, truly... Because that even... No matter no matter how much rape Victor does, Typhoid Mary's not scared. Typhoid Mary's not getting raped. We're not doing that storyline when can it's Victor imagine, versus Typhoid Mary. Can you imagine them fighting for Magic? She kicked the shit out of him. Mercilessly in an yeah. instant. Oh, yes. God. Okay. That's I'm a fantastic... That is a brilliant idea we're, we're gonna never air this episode again so that nobody hears of this and we can uh keep it for right ourselves. ourselves all right kevo can you get the next uh handful of covers up um you know one of the things that i really love about where the x-men line is heading and uh teak i may say we gotta split this into two episodes we're having too good a time you know Are, we could also just rapid fire a bunch of these because we don't need to have the same conversation about them well you know one of the things that i want to say um I don't just think the universe of the guy, you know, in the box below me, I think he is a genius. And like, it's really tough because like between uh, our fans chiming in in the chat, all of them with brilliant perspectives and uh, ourselves having so much to say. One of the things that I find so complicated is I sometimes miss when the show was... uh, so small that I didn't think about all of this stuff. Yeah. And uh, it, it can be really difficult. Yeah. Uh, well, let's get through this next one and think about whether or not you want to split in two or uh, rapid fire some of these. Cause like, I'm, I don't have anything to say on kid venom. Uh, you know, one of the things about cable, <laughs> I'm glad you did this image and not the other one. <laughs> yes. Uh, one of the things about this cable book is that Fabian Nicieza seemed like he was going to be very resistant to the idea of incorporating kid cable into his storytelling just by virtue of being old guard. Yeah. No, this says that he's really excited about all of the elements of storytelling coming together. Uh, you know, I don't think I have too many ideas about Scarlet Witch and, uh, Quicksilver, but it's there. Um, you know, Ms. Marvel, Iman Vellani, you can write comics for the rest of time. I need at least five minutes to talk about Weapon X-Men, so talk about these first three. Uh, Yeah, Cable, this is going to be a huge book for you and I. um, Or not, or it just won't be. Uh, Who knows what will happen with it. Fabian Nicieza has proven to be that uh, just young enough that even though he's like a pretty, you know, he's just Baby Boomer, maybe just Generation X, he's right on that cusp. Uh, those ones always turn out interesting. Some of them are very young at heart and get it. And some of them are just like crotchety old people. He seems to be a little more of that young of heart, uh, you know, and he was, he was cool back in the day. He wanted to do an AIDS storyline. He didn't want to make the legacy virus. He did the legacy virus because they wouldn't let him do an AIDS storyline. So like, you know, I trust him a little bit. I think he could get it. I'm, I'm interested to see what happens here. 
Um, yeah. Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, I don't know. I won't know what to do with these two until somebody of authority says whether or not I have to wait around for them to become the biological children of Eric Lencher again um, or of Max Eisenhart. Uh, I don't really know what to do with them until that because I think it's going to happen and having invested time in loving them as they were and then being told, nope, none of that is valid. None of that is real. We won't be talking about that anymore. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to do the, I'm not going to wait around for the reverse again. So good luck. Love to you all. Love Scarlet Witch. Think she's great, but not super invested. Ms. Marvel, Amon Valani, do your thing, honey. Uh, we love to see it. We, I think she's doing a great job with this character. I think this is the future of the X-Men. I don't know. Like, how is she going to play in From the Ashes? She's like, this is how I feel like maybe we might have a glimmer of hope. But I don't know what to really do with it right now. And I think part of it is because I think the trajectory for Ms. Marvel is more related to the MCU and a bigger yes. financial stake than just the comics. Yes. So seeing Ms. Marvel mutant menace, seeing yes. two back-to-back -back minis with the word mutant attached, it makes it a little conflicting. I guess this is where I am confused if marketing is just that good at their job or if Marvel is capable of showing two different sides of the same character in a long-term picture. Yeah, that's that is I too am confused. I don't really know. I don't know what we're looking at here. But uh, if Miss Marvel is really one of the flagships of Marvel, be it comics or uh, Marvel Entertainment, and she's a mutant, that means big things for the MCU for sure. And I, that's what we're going to find that out in two to five years. Uh, but it means big things for the comics, too. And it means that From the Ashes isn't necessarily just going to be 1991 Redux, which I know none of us were, like, actually thinking it was going to be. But I don't, do think a lot of us thought we would lose a ton of what made Krakoa great. And if Miss Marvel is part of it, I don't think we're losing everything. And, you know, one of the things that I think leads me to being so excited about Ms. Marvel's further inclusion in the X-Men line is that it feels like they're trying to advance the X-Men in ways that aren't just Krakoa. Yeah. I've been really worried that Krakoa meant that that was the only avenue we were going to see for the X-Men for a long time. And while it did for the most part, seeing things like the infusion of Ms. Marvel into the X-Men line really tells me that there is a bigger picture at play uh, that involves other offices on whatever level. Yeah. All right, now let's talk about it. Um, why was original X-Men one issue and this four? I don't know. I don't know. Why was original X-Men one issue? Why was original X-Men? Where's the new X-Men book we were told uh, was happening and we would see a preview for? I know we keep bringing it up. I'm going to keep bringing it up until somebody explains to me what happened. I don't like that. I don't appreciate oh. that. I just want to say our very own Colossus is here. There uh, he is. There Hi, he Kyle. Is. Hey, Kyle. Right. Uh, this guy. Tovarish. Right. Da. Right. Um, you were saying. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I don't know how we go. Right? Yeah. I don't know how we got here in the first place. And then we do original X-Men, which I'm reasonably certain is just new X-Men. What they were intending to show us just with a different title for whatever reason. Who knows? But, you know, then it's this weird one-off alternate universe story 
for the purpose of introducing that Phoenix is working with a bunch of Logans. Okay, but how does that have anything to do with the four-part Jean Grey mini that we liked so much? Uh, I don't know. And then they're talking about Onslaught, uh, who, you know, Nico has some theories, some really big theories about Onslaught for, like, the entirety of Marvel uh, that I like, but I just don't. I think they're too good. Um I don't know that too good could be yours if you would just ball up and pay me. <laughs> um, this is weird. This what it feels like is they know Phoenix is popular and they know Wolverine is popular, so that's what we're doing. You know, the other thing that it leads me to worry about is the identity of what's going on at Marvel right now. Whenever you go to multiple iterations of the same character as a method of of purveying a story for the bigger picture of the company, you're sort of saying we're hedging all of our bets on one thing. See Spider-Verse, which I'm very positive on, but everything was Peter. There was no other big spider character that wasn't Peter, because in many ways, Spider-Gwen is an iteration of Peter. It's what if Peter had been a female named Gwen. She goes through so many of the same beats as Peter, and she's never really developed as a fully separate character. Down to now, she's being absorbed into 616. You know, that's an indication that her characters never became real enough. Seeing this many Wolverines, I really wonder if we're just going to do two years of Wolverine as the X-Men. Uh, Ally Galactic, I know that last time we talked comics, we told you to read Jean Grey. Um, if you read, it's really the last five issues of Immortal, but I kind of want to tell you not even to bother with those if you haven't. Um, and if you read original X-Men, original X-Men pulls out of the Jean Grey mini and will give you this onslaught story and this transition into weapon x-men uh that we're talking about here uh i don't know that i would say it's good but since i know you just did that gene gray reading you might find original x-men interesting and then maybe you'll find this interesting i am bummed about jane howlett why same reason I'm bummed about the girl in the Timeless preview. We already have a girl Wolverine from another universe. I love her. Why don't you love her, Christos Gage? Well, hold on. First of all, hey, hi, my Greek brother. I love you. Um, Christos Gage is perfect and uh, is above impeachment. Um, but number two, yeah, Christos, answer. Uh, you know, I really agree. One of the things that I think that Jane Howlett represents is an eagerness for Marvel to move on past any previous multiversal iterations of characters. It traps us in a weird position where those of us who are excited about the things that paved the way for more uh, popular things to thrive, you know, we wind up pretty bitter. You know, for everything that makes me so excited about Spider-Gwen, I have Mayday feels that will never go away. Um Anyway, Weapon X-Men has been a humongous thing for me, um, and I have been very excited about where it's going to go. So uh, I'm keeping my eye on it. Uh, I, I am less excited, but uh, I am also keeping my eye on it. Um, I It's just a bummer because Wolverines never like each other. 
Uh, and I sort of feel like, you know, I, I personally would spend an afternoon in my bedroom alone with uh, a book where the Wolverines kiss, but I think I understand that that might be asking a lot. I just kind of need old man Logan to hug Weapon X, uh, Age of Apocalypse, Wolverine, and everybody to hug young Wolverine, who's in the worst place of all of them emotionally, uh, and just say, hey, it's going to be okay. Like, the... It wasn't even the the fact that they were having queer threesome sex that made the Scott Gene Logan thing so beautiful. It was how tender they were with each other. It was the fact that they loved each other that it they made. Really, a- you know, I just it really is the Scott Summers and a speedo joke. Because, yeah, like just them really, being it, together in the morning, having coffee together. Yes, speedos aren't sexy. Speedos are silly, and like it's that they kind of leave nothing up to the imagination, and that's not that's not sexy that's silly and so like scott saying it that way is a form of humorous intimacy that you can only share with somebody that like i don't want to say it weird but like if you're a gay dude you've peed at the same urinal with your partner it's not weird and like scott and logan showing that kind of intimacy was really lovely yes and i i just i think we're gonna see a lot of like stab him harder old man oh you gotten soft you don't know what the mission is anymore this one's got boobs like i just and i would so much rather they all hug they can still kill love the killing kill all yeah. day long but maybe hug each other in between and i just know they're not going to maybe they will because if anybody was going to write that christos gage um but He's i think really they probably evolved won't. man who uh you know really tells stories about characters yes uh, but yeah, I think they probably won't, and it just is a bummer to me. All right. Um, you know, Madripoor Knights. Okay. Don't care. I'm so, sorry. No, I've got to say, my favorite story ever from like Uncanny X-Men ever. My favorite single story ever. But the problem with this is uh, this is like 10 years after Claremont needs to tell this story. Right. That's why I don't care. Here's what I will say. I do not want to see Chris Claremont get Uncanny X-Men. I don't want to see him get adjectiveless X-Men. I don't want to see him get astonishing, all new, all different. You've never seen it before, X-Men. First class, the mini. He needs to be in universes that don't affect the main continuity, not because his ideas are bad and not because he's not a great writer, but because there is this certain element that kind of surrounds writers who have caveat. When you see Chris Claremont's name on a book, it doesn't feel right to see it be a C-lister. And I think the easiest way to deal with avoiding him being a C-lister is having him just be in his own universe. And yeah, unfortunately, in this case, the past is his best universe. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I, you could actually sell me on him doing future stories that are in his own universe. You know, like like his uh, X-Men The End, which isn't great writing, but it's very Claremont and I'm very here for. Um but otherwise yeah um i think past stories only and not let's stop doing this past in continuity but doesn't affect continuity don't worry we haven't we've edit, edited him to make sure he can't say anything offensive and, please and like don't worry, tell you let anybody reference it right exactly um so yeah i don't i yeah that's this is why i don't need it um and power back into the storm kind of same thing kinda very same cute thing. But I don't need it. 
I love both women attached. Uh, both yeah. Easy and June are incredible creators. Of- I would rather they did a present day Power Pack story. I trust Wheezy just fine. Power Pack don't have the same issues that you know Wolverine has and when Wheezy just proved to us with Jean Grey she doesn't have the same issues Chris Claremont has there's no reason actually for this not to be a present day book well and looking at this lineup we've got Steve and Chris both men who want to always write about the past right I don't think Steve Fox has delivered me an idea that wasn't about the things that I wish I could write about as somebody who grew up reading the stories from the 70s and 80s and you know Chris Claremont as the guy who wrote them same um Weezy and June have shown that they are willing to evolve, but at the same time, I worry a little bit about Power Pack into the Storm's ability to keep people's attention. Storm and the Brood are definitely big ideas right now at Marvel, but do we need a Power Pack mini to tell those ideas, or would this have been better if it was something like Storm Brood? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, a special annual where Storm fought the Brood. Uh, and especially, do we need a past Power Pack mini? These kids grew up. Uh, and I don't, I, we've really, Marvel kind of stopped taking care of their kids growing up after the Academy X kids. Things got incredibly choppy after the buses blew up. And I was just saying online the other day, like since that day, since, you know, since the, the kids tried to go after the purifiers, Anol from issue to issue will be a 25 year old man with his hog cock hanging out of his pants. And then in the next issue, he is a 12 year old boy that can't figure out how me lizard arms work. And it just bounces in between Artie and Leech haven't grown up in four days. De- Artie and Leech are 40 year old men. Okay. If not, I, the fact that you're saying literally everything I had queued up, I'm like, sometimes am I coming a little too hard? And I'm like, no, okay. If TK saying it, maybe it's not delusional. It's not. It's, you know, I don't... We do need to have kids. You and I grew up through three eras of kids. The New Mutants were kids right when we came into it. We got Generation X, and the New Mutants got older so that we could have Generation X, their younger siblings, in literally in some cases, and then Generation X aged into, uh, you know, being adults, helping Sean Cassidy out of his alcoholism so that then the Academy X kids could grow up. And then at some point in there, Marvel just started saying, like, put them all at the school. Oh, they still like Anol, so so keep him at the school. But then, like, one of the other ones is now uh, a 25-year-old who's hanging out with the New Mutants. And we, we can add some more kids, but the Academy X kids are still there. And Wolfsbane will be played in this iteration by Mary Kay Letourneau. Jesus Christ on a cracker. I mean, that's an early one. But um, I just, like... The Power Pack kids are all, like, uh, one of them is in an adult relationship, an adult lesbian relationship. Um, They're old. The Power Pack kids grew up. The Power Pack kids uh, are also, like Artie and Leech, they were 10 in the 80s. They cannot be 10 anymore. Can you imagine how hot 35-year-old, like, super boho chic Leech would be? Thank you. Thank you. 
Like, um, what a fucking king uh, of like incredible storytelling you could have with a character yeah. like Leech. Yes. If you really think about how he is treated by heroes as a child mm-hmm. and the way that would shape him, you know, I remember there's this quote from Lord where um, she's commented, like, I feel like a Rolling Stone, it's like something where somebody says, like, you know, you are such an incredible songwriter at your age. How do you feel about that? And she's like, do you know the songwriters they've had me working with since I'm six? Yeah, I better be good or I'm an idiot. And right. like, yeah, right. some of these kids. like Emma know, Frost herself was, you know, took this took this child out of obscurity and said, I'm going to take care of you. You know, what the... the from tunnels Scott, to perfume. Scott picked him up as a kid out of the Morlock tunnels and hugged him. That's Jake's phone background, by the way. Uh, uh, and Jake, who, you know, I could not wait to have Jake to talk about some of these solicits. Me too. Uh, so please, Jake, I know you're watching uh, because, you know. He actually might be. Yeah, I better say. He'll text Jake, me if he is. Uh, you know, we would love to For hear surprise your comment on these issues when they come out. Um, But yeah, all these kids are old. They should be old. Wheezy should be writing 25 to 18 year old power pack kids, you know, adults now doing their thing. And that would be really fun. This throwback story, very cute, fine, whatever. Didn't ask for it. Don't need it from the characters or the writer's perspective. Um, I'm choosing not to weigh in on X-Men 97. Yep. No, I, it's not, not going to help anybody. It's I don't have the right opinion for yeah. it. And I just want to say if uh, the X-Men animated series makes you happy, I love you. Um, and I think you're beautiful. One of my favorite people in all of fandom is uh, Warpath Dylan. And Warpath Dylan is a longtime stand of X-Men, the animated series. So uh, if you want proof that I can be nice to people who like it, there you go. Um, but it's just not for me. Uh, I'm going to do an evolution rewatch with the cute guy up in the corner over there in the next couple of months. And, uh, that's going to be where my heart's at. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, Nico is known for never having been super grabbed by, uh, the animated series. I'm slightly different in that the show. I'm su- I'm a little different in that I was. The X-Men the animated series I have always said was huge for making me a comic book fan. I didn't have the same access to comics. I didn't have my dad wasn't into comics. Um I had no access to knowledge or understanding. So the animated series really helped me piece it together and for that I will be forever grateful. But it's unwatchable you guys. Like I'm a nostalgia person. Uh I love I listen to an embarrassing amount of ska because I'm nostalgic for the 90s. Um, I think all you have to do is look at little TK to see that uh, he's a ska boy. That's a little rude boy. Um, And I I would even make the argument that there's like redeemable ska. There's a lot of like good in a lot of genres that are very silly, but they also aren't all Diamonds. Yes, the impression that and I get okay could absolutely too. go on a Krakoa mix. Yes, um, and that's true. You know, there are, there are perfectly watchable episodes of the animated series, but on the whole, it's not very good. Uh, it's not meant to be very good. It's meant to be a kids show, and it's this is bef- this is before Avatar: The Last Airbender. People, they didn't think that children 
could watch nuanced television shows in the 90s. So you're watching something that was produced by a bunch of old white men who thought the kids were stupid. Um, and it was the kids that watched that show and were smart and filled in the blanks themselves. You guys did all the work to make it good. It was not good. You made it good in your heads with your beautiful imaginations. Which is why here is such an incredible thriving market for what I like to call between fiction. Yeah. The things where like people fill in all of the amazing stuff for Neville Longbottom. Right. He appears like 17 times. Right. That's it. Yeah. But the brilliant brilliant people who love those things fill whether it's the movies yeah. the tv uh almost the tv show it's a play yeah but no i mean there yeah there's so much uh like never spoken canon about how you know really it it could have and maybe should have been neville the whole time and wasn't uh and you know people write based on stuff like that uh but yeah you guys you the kid that watched this show put your own imagination into it and that's why it's so good to you but the show itself is not very good and you know my hope is that the this will be like avatar the last airbender and the kids that watched x-men will have grown up into the people that make it the problem at this point and this doesn't mean that it won't be a good show we only have one active voice from the show that speaks to the greater world. And he's beautiful. He is gorgeous. It's, 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 it's threatening to my existence. Uh, I look <laughs> in the mirror and I think you will never be that man. Why not um, me? And yeah. I mean, I just, but he but also gets online like Chad and white levels of wrong. And then he gets online and it's like Chad white levels of wrong. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's rough. Um, doesn't mean it won't be good, but this is, this is where we are. Um, you know, I'm ready for the next four covers and yeah, uh, already got a bunch of them up. Spectacular yeah. Spider-Man has me so excited. And yep. one of the things that I am so excited about Spectacular Spider-Man for is we have yet to see Miles Morales treated like an adult within the context of Peter Parker. And one of the big pushes that Marvel as a company has made in the last three or four years is to say that not all Latino men and not all uh, black men are treated as boys. You know, it is such a complicated thing. Because this idea of treating people of color as diminutive to their white counterparts is such a humongous prevalent element of fiction. Uh, I have been on a deep dive musical kick in the last couple of months. And uh, occasionally I have to be like, hey, dad, just, you know, that thing is problematic. My dad was like, I hope you're not watching Showboat. And like, so that's like an indication that there are even works that leave all of us a little cringy because, you know, these these trace elements are so important you know, ingrained in our fiction. Marvel is doing such beautiful work to take Miles out of those dangerous tropes and evolve him into a beautiful new place where he gets to be a man. And I think giving him equal footing with Peter in a book like the spectacular Spider-Man by Greg Weissman is the move. Yep. Couldn't agree more. The fact that this is just, they get together and hang out uh, because they are the Spider-Men and they're the people that understand each other. I think way more comics should be employing great writer, like classic writers uh, to do concepts like this. Uh, you know, I would pay for a series of X-Men baseball game books um, or just 
various gangs going to I would have said the Blue Lagoon, but since or the Green Lagoon, but since that's going away, they'll go they'll go to Harry's. Um but you know, whatever it is, I just think I think we need more of this stuff. Um I know there is a feeling that all books need to have action, and I'm sure this will have a bunch of action. Um, but I will also say that uh, everybody, every time somebody tells me that, I remind them that everybody used to tell me that you have to write every issue as though it is somebody's first. And people don't really do that anymore because it is inefficient and bad storytelling and also uh you don't have to write every issue like it's somebody's first because every comic book published big comic book publisher uh has an archive of their entire library um but most especially the stuff that is written like it's not somebody's first so you know if you broke into x-men with the krakoan era uh, in the middle of it, you it was so easy to go read all the back issues, and I sent multiple friends to do it. So they really didn't have to write any of those issues like they were somebody's first. Uh, in that same way, I don't think every book has to have action or nobody will read it. Uh, independent books have proved to us for years that that doesn't need to happen. I think it's time for the big two to do a little less action because they've created so much character background that it's simply impossible to believe that these people don't have interesting interior lives that we would want to watch. I cannot even begin to imagine what it would be like for uh, like a group of friends in the Marvel universe to get together and like watch Survivor. Like yeah. I don't, I don't Survivor, but yeah, I me neither. I, but yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. Like you know, watch Drag Race. You know, not just make a Drag Race reference. I didn't want to be all sorts of big fagums about it. But no, but like yeah. it's <laughs> it's true because that's what we the- watch. All of the gay superheroes of the Marvel yeah. Universe would get together and would hang out and would watch yeah. uh, Drag Race and would talk yeah. about the Met Gala looks and yeah. would uh, talk about Beyonce's new album. And there would yes. be those three white gays that would be like, it just wasn't for me. I and like Taylor they, Swift better. And there would be one random gay of color who's like, I'm abstaining because I don't engage with popular culture. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, it, I could not be more it excited be about you. this book. It yeah. was me. I was that guy. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, uh, in the exact opposite that uh, these two men have helped me to enjoy being, uh, Spectacular Spider-Man is my pull of this entire list. Yeah. Um, I am so over this amazing Spider-Man book. Uh, seeing Tobey Maguire muscle up in that one image was uh, super influential on me as a kid. And I think I've spent every Spider-Man book trying to capture that high, that idea of, wow, you can be that superhero. You can wake up one morning and be amazing Um, because this Zeb Wells Amazing Spider-Man run has me convinced that Peter Parker, the man, is not amazing. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't care. Um, I don't, I, this should have ended with gang war, even if you just wanted to restart it. Um, I, I just fine, whatever. This is not for me. You no. know, I think one of the things that's even hard is that this is at issue 45 and 46, according yeah. to the solicits, it's only five or six issues behind X-Force. And I know that X-Force yeah. dealt with the complications of the COVID delays, but it's 
impossible for this to be so close to X Force without double and triple shipping. Some- it is double shipping. Um, yeah, that's just so tough, man. And you know, it's funny because we say like, "God, stop doing so many minis." But also, I'm not saying every book has to go 100 issues like it used to. I think a solid 24 or 36 is lovely. Cap it at 50. Sure, uh, for your Avengers, you know, uh, I thought Miss Marvel running that long was a bit much. Or Captain Marvel, sorry, not Miss. Uh, I thought Captain Marvel running 50 issues was a bit much. The only reason why it didn't bother me is because it's a woman. It never happens with uh, solo woman titles. Um, uh, Tim Burnham asking, uh, how do you guys feel about JRJR on this ASM run? I, guys, champ forever. Um, I... I think I I still think his art is fantastic. I think this is not the book for him every issue for this long. Uh and with this subject matter, you know, I don't you know, um I love Tori Amos. I I do. She makes records. We um, both do. I was going to say that. But here's the thing about Tori Amos. At a certain point you recognize that there's 11 songs in the chamber and she's going to fire one of them out in some form or another. And part of what happens is you hear the same iteration or you hear the same iteration of different songs or you hear different iterations of the same songs. I feel in so many ways, like at this point in JRJR's career, He's kind of doing different iterations of the same songs and the same iterations of different songs on every page. Seeing him do Typhoid Mary is, you know, I I think Typhoid Mary is the second most perfect woman in the history of fiction uh, behind Elektra. And of course, number three is Brie Vandekamp, uh, obviously. Um, what a list. What a list. But... When you ask me who draws Mary, when you ask me who draws Mary like the beautiful, complicated, deep woman she is, there's really only J.R.J.R. Now, I'm not trying to diminish the work of other people, but um, part of why I'm frustrated is because this isn't a, a Typhoid Mary event. And so it feels like you've brought on... Um, I guess it feels like you've brought on a tank to fight a skirmish. And so I feel like I'm a little frustrated because if you're going to engage JRJR, this like sort of holy, you know, you know, Tori, really, thank you so much. If you're going to bring on somebody who could be capable of elevating Typhoid Mary to that Harley Quinn level, like Tori is asking, why hasn't she reached? It just feels like a waste that you're using her on such a footnote story where I would really rather see John Romita Jr. exploring the ways that Mary and Spider-Man are kind of equals in the New York scene in their own fashion. It's really funny that I think Wells is trying to make White Rabbit Harley Quinn. Mm, Man, wow, you just named a character I don't care about. Exactly. And J.R.J.R. is here to make White Rabbit seem really cool. Uh, and make um, I keep wanting to call her Beetle because it looks like a Beetle outfit, but Tombstone's daughter is um... oh she's um oh damn it and you're gonna say it and I'm gonna get so annoyed I don't I still don't know 
Okay, move on. Yeah, um, Janice Lincoln, hold on. Just, uh, oh no, it is Beetle. Okay. Uh, well, that's kind of lame too. I don't know. There's just all these people in here who it's like, Zeb, I love that you care about them and I love that you're writing this story. Uh, I guess when we went through the second set of issues with them. I just, uh, I'm going to step away for one second, yeah. but I want to just say that like Zeb Wells is a lot like a. Uh, a Jane Curtin, like not being silly, but he's somebody who has so many amazing ideas, but the characters he chooses to focus on really lose the audience in a way that doesn't engage the quality of the dryness of his humor. Yes. Uh, I'm going to get on web while you're out. Uh, web of Spider-Man. I don't know. I, you know, the, the, this is one of those like anthology issues with a bunch of writers that is here to give us, I mean, this is like timeless. It's here to give us the future of Spider-Man's world. People are talking about the fact that uh, some of the issues will, uh, or some of the stories, one of the stories will introduce chasm versus Kane, which again it's like i was saying uh with timeless and blood hunt basically everybody either knew blood hunt was coming out or didn't care so seeing it in timeless wasn't going to be the thing that made them care here uh you already either know that Kane versus chasm is happening or you probably don't care uh and i don't since this is these are anthology stories, you have more than just a panel to get you hyped. Maybe that'll help, but I'm not super convinced. Uh, the other big thing that people are saying is that this is going to introduce the Spider Society for the comics. Spider Society, of course, being uh, where Miles went with all the other multiversal spiders in Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, I believe that that is likely possible. Um Again, we kind of already had it. Uh, it was called Web Warriors. Again, Nico and I covered it. Why? Because Mayday was a part of it. Uh, and I really... it's This gets back to that thing of Marvel constantly reiterating themselves and taking stuff that they've already done before and kind of repackaging it and giving it to us again in a way that kind of confuses continuity. Uh, I really, because we already had a, a thing where all of the multiversal spider people got together and that included Mayday, that included, um, you know, spider punk, uh, there were just so many great spider people in that the idea that they're saying uh, this is going to introduce the spider society why couldn't you just because a bunch of those people are going to cross over again spider Gwen was a part of all that original stuff so why can't we just bring that back which again would bring back great characters like Mayday uh, and like Annie uh, and Spinneret um I just, and this is one of the things that makes me worried about Ultimate Spider-Man is that I'm worried that we're losing, um, I know we're losing Mayday. Like, that's just always happening. But uh, the Renew Your Vows Spider-Man with Spinneret and uh, his daughter, you know, I, this new Ultimate Spider-Man where he has his family just kind of makes me feel like they're going to be the Spider-Family, so we're never going to see the other one again. 
uh, and Spider Society just kind of makes me feel even more like we're paving over all that good old stuff. Well, and I think part of what we wind up defaulting back to is this era of Greg Capullo and Web of Spider-Man in 1993 at Marvel. And so it makes it really difficult to recognize Peter Parker, not just as a grown adult, but as a functioning man with a family. And so we have to put it in something like Ultimate Spider-Man. We have to move it to this separate idea because we're kind of concerned about what it would do to the fabric of the Marvel Universe where we identify Spider-Man as this idea from the 90s. It just sort of puts us in a complicated place. And I think that's part of what Spider-Verse did as a bigger picture, not just to the Marvel Universe, but to the identity of Spider-Man within the fictional identity. You know, Spider-Gwen, Miles Morales, these are characters that never could have appeared at Target and now they're on every t-shirt there. They're on every pair of pajama pants. That Cartoon you for kids, yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, I think they're doing a lot of work to make Miles Morales more recognized as a humongous idea in the Marvel Universe, especially with giving him his own Venom in this coming year. But I hope that they don't just keep giving him parallels. I know it's difficult to give a character their own identity, but hopefully they can come up with a unique villain for him that doesn't feel like who doesn't Peter Parker have right now? Because Peter Parker doesn't fight Venom anymore. That's not a thing. So giving Miles his own Venom is uh, in the pages of, what is it, Giant Size Miles Morales in uh, February? I think so. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think... It's always that balance of giving a character like Miles ins into the Spider-Man world, into the rogues gallery and everything, uh, but also of giving him his own unique villains. And if you can create Hallow's Eve, who I love uh, and who I think should be getting more stuff, you can create a villain for Miles. And like, you could have created Hallow's Eve as a villain for Miles specifically. Um but if you if you are creating a Hallow's Eve, you can create villains for Miles. Uh, oh my God, Mischief Knight! I love that. Uh, and you know, it doesn't need to be like a young black teen who's dealing drugs and has superpowers. Like it can just be somebody who is a villain for Miles. I've, that's something I don't love about when they try and create original content for Miles is that a lot of times they're like, it's a guy from the streets, but he got gauntlets. Uh, he listens to bad bunny. And also when he was a little kid, one time in kindergarten, he dressed up as Coolio. Yeah. It's weird. Um, so, you know, he could just like, there could just be a white guy who sucks that Miles Morales fights. Oh, no, what? White guys who suck? I can't. Uh, yeah. White man. All right, oh, a white man. Typical. Um. So, all right, let's let's move on because uh, yeah. got to get to some other stuff. Yeah. Spider Gwen's got a tough year. We've talked about it a lot. Uh, she's actually moving to six one six this year. A little bit weird. That makes no uh, sense. That doesn't mean anything. Ignore it. Anything. But uh, those two first books about Spider-Gwen, written and penciled by women. Yes. Uh, and that is the same woman writing both titles, Melissa Flores. However, Enid Balam is on Spider-Gwen Smash. And unfortunately, the name of the creator on Giant Size Spider-Gwen is slipping my mind at the moment. But I am so proud of Marvel making the decision to have women writing women. Uh, not because men can't write women, but because uh, fucking women deserve it. Um, 
Dan Slott writing Superior Spider-Man. Not my first choice. I actually prefer Christos Cage's Superior Spider-Man, so this feels a little bit of a backtrack. Jackpot and Black Cat. I can't think of a book. I am... I... Uh, I said earlier that as a man attracted to women, uh, look, this book is real sexy. And uh, there's plenty of ways in which I love these covers. These are beautiful women. And these are beautiful women being presented in interesting ways. But unfortunately, the book is limited by the constraints that Mary Jane will always be Peter Parker's wife. She's not actually treated as jackpot. She's treated as an extension of Peter. That kind of does mean she's a little more than window dressing. She is a little more than what she represents on these covers. Black Cat can get a complex interior monologue and she can evolve and develop. But at the end of the day, these covers serve as porn. The interiors serve to further Black Cat's story. And the title serves to continue Marvel's trademark on Jackpot. And very little else for my three ninety nine. dollars Four times. Uh, So I feel two ways about it. One, because we've had a couple Mary Jane and Black Cat stories in the past, uh, including one that was just in Dark Web. Uh, That's where I feel like, no, this can be more. This idea can be more. Uh, The idea of these two women together can be more. Um, I hear what you're saying about Jackpot. That's a big one. I also don't really love the idea of... um, Mary Jane really as yeah just kind of Peter Parker's wife like even if they are on the outs uh so much of who she is is based on being have being involved with Peter and it's almost like I would rather just get them back together and talk about it less you know, just have them, you know, have them back together and stop will they, won't they Because at that point, then she can just have this life. The problem is that uh, it's not that she's just Peter Parker's wife. It's that they are constantly in the state of flux so that they can have the dramatic tension and conflict of the romance. Uh, rather than doing the very smart thing that The Office did with Jim and Pam, which is tell stories about how a couple could face conflict together how two people can have conflict in their lives uh that because they are together means that they'll face that conflict together in a certain way or that like if you're in the fight of your life you still could die but your wife can have your back it doesn't need to be you know will they or won't they with the wife your wife can be part of your story uh, and so I just sort of wish that they would put these two together and have Peter say, honey, I know you've got to go be the superhero today. Good luck. But instead, we're still doing like what happened in the weird alternate reality with the magic guy who put the symbols on her. And, you know, I think part of what winds up happening is we wind up in allegiance almost to the era and the writer who took the time to create these things. So we see that Dan Slott did jackpot just before he did spider verse. And this whole through line of Dan Slott, Spider-Man is kind of the blueprint for the modern spider identity. So of course we're going back to jackpot in this time, 
But part of the trade-off then is exactly what you're saying. It's still in that through line of Spider-Man. So we can't break free of who MJ has always been. It's a little disappointing, especially because I feel like Felicia has become so many more things than who MJ ever used to be. Uh, I don't know. It's a little complicated. I hope these two women continue to thrive. And I hope that uh, under incredible writers, especially like Melissa Flores, who has taken the time to shape Spider-Gwen into a more realized version of a modern woman, we can see these two women do uh, some amazing things in the Spider-Verse. Uh, and to answer Tim Burnham's question of who's writing the Black Cat Jackpot series, it's Celeste Bronfman, who uh, actually wrote uh, Mary Jane's first appearance as Jackpot in uh, Amazing Spider-Man 31. Although, gosh, every time you see it referenced by Marvel, they do the legacy numbering, which is infuriating when you're just trying to put together some prep for a show. Uh I can think of three things I find that annoying, and I, I that was a made-up number. There is nothing that annoying. Yeah, truly. All right, next four. Um, you know, one of the things that I do want to say is that uh, Kevo has been such an incredible king about uh, running the board for this episode, where we have been about as focused as a 13 year old's essay on what they want to be when they grow up. That's kind of what the Marvel universe is offering right now. It's offering a lot of possibilities. It's offering a lot of different characters doing different things under similar umbrellas. Spider punk, not my thing. Spider woman, always my thing. Spider woman with spider boy, questionably my thing. Spider boy, that cover, definitely my thing. Peter David writing more sim, uh, writing more Spider-Man 2099, making it a symbiote. Yeah, uh, agreed on all fronts. Uh, if Spider-Woman can smack Spider-Boy around a little and maybe address the storyline a little bit, super cool. Uh, if he is somehow her son, less cool. Uh, we will find out. Uh, the rest of it, couldn't agree more. Spider-Punk. Not my thing, and Symbiote Spider-Man, especially written by Peter David. Uh, I it's not 1992 anymore. Yeah, but uh, here they are trying really hard to make sure that we know that the star of Spider-Verse is uh, definitely a modern thing. Look at Miss Minutes; it is cover. I don't know. This just isn't my thing, and I yeah. hope Marvel is continuing to get a lot of returns on exploring 2099, whether it's in the continued miniseries or the line of Omnis that are coming out in the next two years. Just uh, this is something that I'm definitely going to dive into because I love seeing how some of these creators came up, but the product itself has not yielded too many phenomenal returns for me. Agreed. Uh, you know, the thing about the next four is that we're finding ourselves out of Spider-Man and into the bigger picture of the Spider-Verse and Venom, Carnage. I cannot believe we are entering an era where both Venom and Carnage are being written by a woman, a woman with a name that cannot be pronounced by the average. Hey, yo, uh, I want to uh, wear some Ed Hardy and uh, check out the new Venom movie kind of fanboy. Um, Torn Grunbeck is somebody that this show has thought is the absolute fucking queen of complex ideas at Marvel for quite a while. And seeing that she has taken over both Venom and Carnage, I am very excited. Uh, I think this might be her first issue of Venom, actually. Uh, not my side of the Marvel Universe, nor is What If Venom. 
Uh, and frankly, I am on some level so positive jealous of the king that is Rich Duick writing a story with Bob Quinn in Edge of Spider verse number two that it is hard for me to even put into words. Rich is the most talented, shining, up-and-coming voice, uh, contributed to the same incredible collection that I was in, uh, Young Men in Love, which won a GLAAD award in 2023. I guess it's a year ago. I guess I'm a long-standing GLAAD winner these days, uh, sharing that same award with Rich and the likes of some incredible talent like Matt Miner and Joe Glass. I am so proud to be a part of that. And seeing Rich's name here, I am Gwarsh. Mickey, dreams really do come true. Uh, it is so unbelievable to see Rich's name on something we're going to talk about. And I only hope that uh, he chooses to grace us with an appearance. And if not, uh, it's still cool. We're still Facebook friends. So uh, I am just uh, so fucking excited for him to be in Edge of the Spider-Verse. It's hard for me to talk about. Uh, yeah, I very much. I'm excited to see what Torin Grumbeck does with Venom and Carnage because haven't been super interested i'm venom i have been uh but it's been a big undertaking uh it's really crossed over into a lot of stuff and become a world unto itself and uh i don't always get it and i don't always have time to add more i to just my plate. don't always get it yeah uh carnage i super don't get that we keep doing these huge carnage events uh that the last one again you know now he's miles's problem uh okay I, I i will say i don't have a review on that because i the setup i was just like i abstain i'm busy this summer i read too many x-men books already i have a job i can't also do carnage reigns or whatever it was um what if no tori that art is bob quinn who is a god among men um, yeah truly bob quinn could draw the sound of my soul and it would uh sound perfect and uh didn't get the best treatment by Marvel, frankly, after some incredible work. Uh, so I was actually really happy to see he was willing to be back. Um, I, I Bob Quinn drew some of the greatest issues of the Krakoan era and really uh, defined a few characters, uh, including uh, Betsy in the Captain Britain uniform and Rachel yeah. as Ascani, uh, you know. Uh, At Kiss, drawn by a straight man. Yeah. Felt I don't know. I don't want to use the word tasteful because I don't think straight men can do tasteful. But um, as close to tasteful as straight men yeah. can get outside of giving their girlfriend a Fendi bag. Uh, what if Venom? I don't care what about. Uh, Edge of Spider-Verse. Yeah, I'm super stoked because of stuff like the fact that these amazing creative teams are on it. Edge of Spider-Verse is always tough. Uh, actually, and I'm sorry, I said uh, Web of Spider-Man is introducing Spider-Society. It actually is Edge of Spider-Verse that's doing it. Still annoyed uh, <laughs> because I just, you know, if if maybe I won't be annoyed. Maybe uh, Spider-Society will bring Mayday in and I will be very happy. But uh, because I feel like we already had a thing that was the Spider-Society, just not called that. I'm just sitting in the the annoyed space right now. Um, but, you know, hearing that we've got really great teams on this Spider-Verse book is really cool. Spider-Verse is like, just Spider-Verse is like timeless. There's one basically every year. Uh, it's 
I should say Edge of Spider Verse is what Timeless is aspiring to be and not doing the best job of. Well, you um, know, and now they're uh, running Edge of Venom, uh, what Edge of Venom Verse as an Venomverse. Un, uh, yeah. an Infinity comic, like it's uh, some sort of peddled street drug. Yeah. So now we're getting into something that's a little more complicated, but they've been doing. Uh, spider-verse anthologies for a hot minute now and they have sort of figured out how to uh make it this might be the only time you see this story so have fun but uh we also go multiversal a lot with spider-man so you never know when you might see this guy again uh the problem with like something like timeless is i don't know there's it's only three issues old and there it's a chaotic three that have had different effects throughout the marvel universe so there's not like a rule where the character that you see at the end of every timeless will appear in the marvel universe because the first one was miracle man and he never shows up uh the next one was the twilight court and they did show up so am i expecting that i'm gonna see uh power old man power man uh i don't know and i don't care um but you'll have to keep working on the timeless titles to to make us get into them the same way we do with the spider-verse all right now let's talk timeless men enter their prime at 50 all right if you want to know when a man gets perfect looking it's 50 and uh that's the start and so uh, Avengers Twilight, bring me some old man superheroes. I'm mostly kidding. One of the things that I'm excited about, about Ch uh, Chip Starsky's Avengers Twilight, I've made some jokes that it feels like they're just doing an iteration of DC's Twilight of the Superheroes, but for the Marvel Universe. And if they are, okay. You know, I had a lot of choice words when Mark Millar chose to adapt Chris Claremont's pitch for Wolverine Enemy of the State and Wolverine Agent of Hydra as his own story. When you as a creator choose to put your idea out there, you're choosing to put it out there, which is part of why TK keeps going, all right, Marvel, we're going to delete that so you can't steal it because that is part of what happens when you say your idea. If we see Alan Moore's, I'm sorry, the original writer's eye roll, um, if we see his idea for Twilight of the Superheroes applied to the modern Marvel Universe by the pen of Chip Zdarsky, I think we're the luckiest generation. I mean, even luckier than the uh, the greatest generation, uh, who we are three inches taller than. Um, you know, one of the things that winds up happening with this run of books is you're trying to paint a picture of Avengers for a modern readership. Avengers Twilight is promising us a very cerebral look at the Avengers, where Jed McKay's Avengers is a pretty on point look at what avengers is uh in the cultural in the cultural mindset but at the same time it kind of falls short for me personally gods is not worth the money don't waste your money don't don't john hickman is a genius but marvel is not treating this book like a genius property so it sits there like a weird kid running through the sprinkler when he's got a pool anyway i don't know what this book is doing but it is throwing my popsicle on the floor. I hate this. It could be perfect, but it's just, it's not in the fucking Marvel universe. It's not. And if you want to lie to me and tell me it is, then I just want to know what sort of pitchfork Disney barbiturates you are taking my friend. Um, this Thunderbolts book is so fucking hot. I can't wait to read it. These are the sexiest, stupid idiot characters in the world. I hope they have ugly, ugly orgies all the time. 
Uh, nailed it all around. Yeah, stoked for Twilight, uh, although very... Uh, I just kind of need to know a little bit more. Um, I've been... It's been a tough state of limbo <laughs> uh, with Avengers ever since the Aaron run ended, and I'm not feeling... I still don't really feel like I'm on solid ground. Uh, everything Nico said about Gods is right. Uh, this is a non-Marvel story that has been... Uh, Hydron Collider, uh, Hadron Collider smashed together with uh, Marvel Hayden characters. Christensen Collider smashed together. There you go. Uh, why is Doctor Strange in this so much? Is this a Doctor Strange story? When no, he looks so much like the lead character. There's that. Uh, you know, there's concepts that are just absolutely foreign to the Marvel Universe that we're now being told are integral to the Marvel Universe. And then they're like, you know, they're integral because here's the in betweener. Oh, okay. <laughs> it solved it. Now I'm in. No, I just, I, God, Hickman's got such a brain, but uh, editorial isn't always prepared for it. Uh, Thunderbolts, exactly. Hot characters. Uh, this is just a little padding before we do the movie. Uh, the only thing that's unfortunate about it is we had a great Thunderbolt story last year that was an entirely different team. Uh, and this is not anything to do with that. That's fine. I just want to ask, are you softballing gods because we're like a hundredth second over time? Or are you softballing gods because you're saving your opinions for when it's inevitably wrapped up at 10? Uh, not because we're over time because we're not. I didn't know how long this one was going to go. So I'm not. Uh, we also started early, so I have nowhere to be. Um, I it is, it is the latter. Like I and be also because like what I said is the truth. It's for where we are. All I know is. They keep introducing a ton of concepts that have never been a part of Marvel and that they're saying are huge to the universe. They then pull in a ton of characters that are integral to the Marvel universe, like Doctor Strange. And then they say, you can trust us that these two things work together because here is uh, one of the abstract entities. Uh and that's a weird formula. I don't. I just don't really know what to do with it. Um, we know this started as a pitch for an MCU show, and I'm not sure if that's where it's going to end. Uh, but I, yeah, I just don't know what to do with it. That's really why I'm. I I'm, I talk about this the way I do. Do you know what would make me think that Gods was a much stronger title? What if the lead was a black trans person? Yeah. Exactly. Um, like it, it feels like it's meant to be a book that represents the people who have never been shown as in power. Um, and then it literally shows a guy who looks exactly like Dr. Strange. Who, and who's also I, the Highlander. He's just an old Scottish dude. Like, I have a really clear memory of my pediatrician looking a lot like Dr. Strange. And uh, don't get me wrong, really nice guy. Definitely made me feel safe and not in a weird way. Uh, but like, ugh, like that's not a guy whose story hasn't been told. You know, well, to, to your point about, you know, this should be like a queer trans black person. Uh, it's this is a book about how the universe uh, has no rules and every rule. Uh, this is a, a book about how you can do anything, how nothing is what it seems. And that's just really not, uh, a story that tends to be synonymous with like, just like a cis hetero white man who's having divorce troubles with his wife. 
uh that's just like what a boring way to start a story that says that the universe can be anything you want it to be and then you know his sidekick is a disaffected white kid and his wife's sidekick is uh uh carrie from or carrie russell from felicity or felicity it's just Felicity. the The sidekick is Felicity. I, I said, and not even Carrie Russell. Not that's what, thank you. That's yeah. It's Felicity, just Felicity. in yeah, a way that makes me feel bad for Amy Jo Johnson. And it's just these are not people that I associate with experiencing how expansive the universe can be. That is something very much that, and that goes back to what I was saying about Krakoa. It's just like I feel like minority people experience so much more that the universe the rules just aren't what we think they are uh and it's something that i say a lot like when i realize that this thing that i've been told my whole life and granted it was a young life but uh that you know marriage was between a man and a woman that it was you know romance was between a man and a woman because that was all i ever saw that was all that was modeled for me and when i realized that that rule wasn't actually true because it didn't apply to me i wondered what other rules didn't apply to me and that i could live my life in so many more interesting ways that mattered to me. And God's is like kind of trying to say that, but then at every turn it's like, but let us be in this cute little box. Uh, so I don't know, just it didn't work. And you know, part of the problem is that the Marvel universe has so many unanswered questions. Like what is yeah. the current fate of the Fantastic Four? I want to love Ryan North's Fantastic Four. I wanted to love so much about Ryan North's Fantastic Four from the pitch because this is the guy that made Squirrel Girl cool. Squirrel Girl isn't just a tough sell. She is a complicated sell because she's silly in the way that comics were silly in the 90s, but she's also a dynamic, incredible character with a dynastic set of squirrel sidekicks. Uh, this is not the book. It at 18 issues represents one of the longest running series in the Marvel universe. And yet it feels like a baby is writing it. Not because Ryan North isn't a genius, but because it feels like there are so many restrictions on Marvel's first family that we're unable to see a dynamic picture of who they could be in this Marvel universe. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with everything you're saying and I don't have a ton more to add. Um, everybody i don't think there's anybody that can't really write a fantastic four story i just think it's tough to write a really good one and i don't blame the writers for that because i it seems like there's probably a mandate that you can't really go in certain directions like i'll say straight up my my fantastic four pitch is that reed and sue get divorced uh because i think you can still be a family and have your parents be divorced my parents were best friends for years um and yes, but you are in fact the hot adult version of peter pan so magic just surrounds you sure but they were in space with cosmic rays i feel like if maybe they fucked their brains up to think that they could be friends as divorced parents you know what i mean like oh my god hold on though bradford we have to fire everybody at marvel and bradford yeah. you are new assistant editor-in-chief yeah <laughs> why would anyone do gods when other world is right there yeah, I could exactly absolutely scream 100 percent. that is absolutely correct um captain america liking it so far we're still kind of early uh this is the first jms that i wouldn't literally gouge my eyes out after the first issue to make it the last thing that i ever read this is tough 
uh, JMS Thor, JMS Spider-Man, JMS The Twelve. These are uh, JMS Supreme Power. These are books that I literally like. JMS Supreme Power is a book that I blame. Like I blame for my egocentric sense of self. And this Captain America run just feels like the guy that wrote Babylon Five is writing Captain America, and I don't know what happened. Mm. Uh, I don't. I don't have the same problem that you do with it, uh, but. I don't know. I don't love it. I don't hate it. Um, I'm sticking with it for a bit. Uh, Ali Galactic, I did say Cosmic Rays, uh, and I stand by it. Always should. Okay. Um, so here's the thing. E-viewing, I am so excited for your Black Panther, but the previous run on Black Panther was kind of a weird read that didn't really do it for me. After one of the greatest runs on any superhero comic ever, the Coates run on Panther is Hall of Fame legendary. It is, you know, it is everything that a superhero comic could be if a hero were written with fearlessness. And, you know, E-viewing, I am going to give your Black Panther every chance. In trade... Um... And to that end, Alyssa Wong. Alyssa, hey. Hey, friend Alyssa, you have my email address. You are my literal, uh, you are a literal human I am friends with. Like, I love you. Um, I cannot, I purchased on Comixology all of your Captain Marvel, and I can't wait to read it when the first six are out. I'm real sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm, I actually am reading it live. Um, I, I, yes, Alyssa, you know how much we adore you on this show. Uh, I really think that they can the do. The three of us had a conversation about what it takes to make good at con marketing in person. Um, I really think that they can do no wrong as a writer. And I don't think they're doing wrong here. I just, they gave Kelly Thompson 50 issues. This is not getting 50 issues uh and i don't when it's not getting 50 issues i don't know what i'm supposed to be taking away from it or doing with it um as i as we mentioned to uh tim earlier like this culminated in a huge x-men crossover that was very important to me as a reader of both books um i just it's that I don't trust production and editorial to make this matter to the grander scheme of things, which not everything has to, I admit, like I can still just enjoy it for what it is. But um, then I'm just always worried that like, you know, Alyssa's going to write something incredibly profound about what it means to be Captain Marvel that will define my Captain Marvel for years to come. And when the next author takes over really soon, they will just have their own ideas and they will pave over all the great work that Alyssa has done. Uh, and that's just where I'm at in terms of like, no matter how much I like it, I'm just on, on edge about that. But, you know, sorry, I was literally just trying to fix my headphones for stuff. You're so screen. good. You're totally good. Less. I think part of what winds up happening is Alyssa Wong is now famous for her reinvention of character and I'm not sure that she's going to be given the room to reinvent Captain Marvel, which is where I guess I'm also giving the same sort of like paused respect to Philip Kennedy Johnson's Incredible Hulk. I would love it if Philip Kennedy Johnson were reinventing the Incredible Hulk 
I don't think he's given the room to. And that's part of what's really difficult. This is an age of Marvel where these are incredible creators being given very little room to develop these stories. Um, you know, from what we understand, you know, Johnson was asked to take over Hulk uh, at the last second when there was a failed run. It's a it's a definite difficult decision to pick that book up when it costs 40 to 50 dollars to pick up a book for a year. Yeah. Um, uh, Hulk. Hulk is in a tradition of stories right now, like uh, Ben Percy's uh, Ghost Rider, where it's like cross country, uh, you know, road tales. And it just seems like Marvel is not seeing the forest for the trees like they're not realizing that they're doing something uh and you know they even have a ghost rider in this book you know uh hulk goes from location to location bumps into a ghost rider meanwhile ghost rider's been going to location to location bumping into all these people and it just seems like um you know a bunch of people are on scarlet's walk and maybe uh marvel could figure that uh, that got you sitting uh maybe marvel could kind of figure out how to do something with that instead of giving me two stories that I just, and like with Captain Marvel, if I get invested, uh, you know, question one, do I want to be invested? Uh, we'll find out sometimes that does take a minute to wait and like see if you come out and read them in trade. But then if I get invested is the guy that comes after you and the editorial team that comes after you just going to say, you know, write whatever you want. Don't worry about what that last guy did. Just pave over it. Well, uh, you know, just to touch on what we're talking about from the beginning of this episode, we know that there's going to be a new line editor for the X-Men taking over for Jordan D. White, who has been responsible for shepherding the entirety of the Cohen era. So now I'm left wondering how often that has been what's repainted the mural that Hulk is basing its stories on. Because it's not just, you know, the whole breadth of Hulk. It's which particular stories this editor is going to allow a writer to source from. That's the same thing going through Immortal Thor, through Doctor Strange, and Blade. Immortal Thor, you know, I think Al Ewing is given a little bit more room than the average writer. Doctor Strange, I think that's Jed McKay's big era pitch. I don't know. I feel like Blade is always just trying to keep up with the coolness of the 90s movies, and yet is never really given the room to be a book that develops a personality. Jason Aaron's Blade is very cool, but that's kind of like a white guy putting Blade on a team. I don't know. I think we wind up in a position where so often the editorial dictates what's going to be sourced for the run. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to these titles, Immortal Thor has been really fun so far. Um, I... Thor runs have been really good all around. I just kind of, where are we going with this? What's, uh, we haven't really had a comprehensive Thor situation since, uh, Jason Aaron. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, 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 I like it fine. Dr. Strange. <clears throat> I'm here for strange Academy. Uh, so it's, it's tough to care about about this uh and blade i guess i'm kind of waiting for the movie 
you know, I think part of what winds up happening is we wind up in a position where Blade is defined by the cultural iteration of the film. And so the difficulty here for me is understanding who Blade is going to be in the bigger picture of the Marvel uh, in the modern Marvel universe moving forward. I myself am really, like I said at the start of this episode, under the impression that we're going to burn everything and start over. But there has been so much focus on Blade between Blade and his incredible daughter, Brielle. Uh, we've seen some really incredible attempts at building a canon here. Not just continuing to build on the idea of this character looks cool, but to build a storyline that we can source from. Yeah, um, and I, I'm here to follow the journey. Um, I just, this is another one where I'm like, I, I will, no matter what, I'm waiting for the trade. Uh, I, I want to, you know, kind of build some stuff up. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, all of these, you know, the fact that it's single character characters, that they're all men, uh, not, not a good or a bad thing. It's just kind of maybe to me, not the most exciting group in the world. Blade definitely is the more exciting one because we don't see a lot of men of color, um, and the fact that we've now introduced Brielle uh, makes me kind of more into it. Because part of what they're doing with Brielle is they're saying that it's not that Blade stops at Blade. You know, when I take a look at something like Black Widow and Hawkeye, unfortunately, Black Widow and Hawkeye stop at Black Widow and Hawkeye. There have been several other Hawkeyes and several other Black Widows, yeah. but even at the best of their iterations, they wind up coming back to these two. Kate Bishop is thought of as Kate Bishop, and, you know, Yelena Belova is kind of becoming like White Widow. She's her own person, which... Yeah. I think that is a result of the MCU having a positive impact on the Marvel Universe as a whole. Yeah. Look, Sentry, Jason Lowe is, number one, an incredible artist, an incredible writer, and, frankly, one of my favorite interviewees I have ever had in my entire life. Uh, Sentry is a hard sell for me. I enjoyed what I've seen at the first issue, but Sentry's tough. Jason Lowe is the kind of guy who could get me to read it. Mm, through issue four, we're going to have to see. Rainbow Rowell has such a terrible track record of complicated, problematic storytelling. I am, I am really disappointed that Marvel wouldn't either push her to apologize for some of the Asian appropriation that has predominated her storytelling over the years... Or find a woman of color, a woman, a non-binary person who could tell this story, this beautiful green person, fish out of water story just as well and uh, do it with a little less Wikipedia trash in its wake. Um, I fell in love with Rainbow Rowell's writing before I discovered the problems that she had and it's really unfortunate because it is basically comes out of one one story that she wrote and it's a really early story of hers uh and i think she would never write anything like this again uh but she just straight up will not apologize and will not you know she won't do you know, she won't pull the book off shelves uh she won't 
acknowledge that she just did something that you shouldn't do. She also did it in like, I think 2009, you know, this would be such an easy forgive if she was like, I just, you know, back then I thought this was totally fine. I completely see that it's not all further proceeds for this book will go to, uh, you know, an AAPI charity. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm taking some education and I, you know, I'm, I'm starting a fund for AAPI writers who want to tell their own story. It's like a, I just did it. Like that's all anybody's asking, but instead she doesn't apologize. Uh, Marvel doesn't ask her to apologize. This is, I have not read, uh, past the first because it was the first issue of She-Hulk where I found out about this because we were going to cover it. And- yeah, and Jake like called me out in the recording in a really positive, beautiful way. I left it in the recording and we just never covered it again. Yeah. Uh, and and then I and I haven't read it since. Uh, and I and I won't. Um, it's a bummer for She-Hulk. <laughs> That they've just let this go on so long in through two series, you know, through a whole original She-Hulk series and then this one. Uh, and I'm, I'm sticking with that. All right. You know, do I care about Thanos or Night Thrasher? No. Do I care about these creative teams? A million times over. Yeah. And yeah, these are these are ones I'll give a shot to. Uh, yeah. I, Chris Night- Ketwell is like literally top yeah. writers at Marvel. Yeah. Chris Ketwell. Yeah, uh, he's another one who should should have written uh, Timeless. And um, uh, just to add real quick, Jay Holtham could write anything at Marvel and I would buy it. And yeah. uh, his Night Thrasher, you know, Fabian Nicieza was like, I really hate that the marketing on this says uh, this isn't the 90s anymore. You know what, Fabian, I really respect that. That sucks because your beautiful, beautiful 90s work has shaped so much of the modern storytelling but at the same time, on your cable book, they're saying the 90s are back. Yeah. I completely understand your Twitter gripe. They are treating you like an expendable piece of marketing. Yeah. That sucks. But uh, you know what? This book is called Night Thrasher. They completely understand that they are marketing to a group of people who watched the WPIX Mutant X series. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I'm excited for Night Thrasher because it means that we might eventually get the new Warriors. Uh, I think these are characters worth revisiting. I'm sad that we'll never get that new Warrior series that had those RB Silva co- Silva covers. Um, and you know, anyway, uh, this is this will be interesting. Thanos. Um, yeah, I'll give it a try. We'll see where we go. I'm reserving judgment. Uh, okay. I. I'm gonna say some some. I'm gonna say some really honest stuff for a second on air. I do not miss covering Moon Knight, yeah, at all on this yeah. show at all. I miss Nathan. Uh, I definitely, definitely miss Raven. I miss the incredible energy that was brought by the high positivity of that midnight mission. Um, You know, there was such an unbelievable atmosphere that was excited about this book. I don't know that this book ever excited me and that we are relaunching out of that same energy. I don't know. It's in many ways, not for me. Uh, I wish Moon Knight mattered to me, but I can't escape feeling like Moon Knight represents a problematic and, uh, you know, really predatory 
respect for Egyptian culture. You know, I recently told Kebo that my favorite Lego sets as a kid were the Egyptian sets. And uh, it was a result of seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark get some really beautiful Lego sets at Walmart. And uh, you know what? If Raiders of the Lost Ark is your definition of really attractive Egyptian iconography, you've got a problem. And I feel like Moon Knight suffers from that same iconography at all times. Moon Knight is the other side of that timeless uh, issue. And um, it just proved to me that I don't know what to do (laughs) with Moon Knight. Um, Even when you tell me that all of the forces shaping the Earth have been stopped and it's just Khonshu. Khonshu is the only thing that matters. Uh, Khonshu is shaping all reality. I still don't care about Moon Knight stuff. Um, Timeless. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I just, I bring Moon Knight into the Avengers, get rid of some of the, or, you know, reorganize some of the DID stuff uh, so that it aligns better with understandings of mental health. Uh, Maybe I will start to get into him, but I just, it's not feeling him. Now, I think part of the problem is that Moon Knight has been rewritten by the MCU as Oscar Isaacs. Yeah. And so we associate him with a guy that we love, that we root for, whose yeah. every iteration of a silly character like Apocalypse is amazing, yeah. or whose every iteration of a meaningless character like Poe Dameron winds up being so important to canon. Ugh, Moon Knight still sucks. You yeah. know who doesn't suck? Daredevil. You know what does suck? This run of Daredevil that has nothing to do with Saladin Ahmed and it has nothing to do with Aaron Cooter, both of whom are incredible geniuses at the top of their game. But Marvel authorized and approved a run that had nothing to do with the run that came before it in a way that so incredibly diminishes the importance of the run we're getting. Oftentimes, the run that follows a major pinnacle moment in the Marvel Universe is diminished or is diminishing of the run that came before it. Instead, the Chip Zdarsky run is sort of a pall that hangs over the Saladin Ahmed run. If this run had taken a year to come out and we had gotten a year of almost meaningless Electra stories by somebody like a Wheezy Simonson, I think this book would have sung. But at the end of the day, this feels very thin. Yeah, uh, we're five months in, uh, and I still don't know where I stand with this. Um, it's not that it's a bad story. It's just that I, I went into, I, you know, I, I, the Zdarsky run left me ready to do some work with Daredevil, like to really be in on something uh to to have to read some hard truths and see some difficult storytelling uh and instead we're just getting kind of the what's next from somebody who isn't really interested in pulling another author's enormous continuity situation uh into his work which i get you know Saladin Ahmed is not Chip Zdarsky and he doesn't necessarily want to spend his time 
writing the the red fist saga i get that but i was really invested in that and i felt like it left so many places where any author could pick up and say okay this is daredevil and this is all the stuff that's really important to daredevil's world instead of and saying were like 10 different starting points you could have started with the hand with daredevil with electro yeah. with their relationship with kingpin with the strong winds there was yeah. so much to start with yep uh and instead it's literally just like he did it everything that happened happened and now he we're in this reset uh and Okay, uh, so now Matt's a priest, and he's obviously not going to stay a priest, so I guess we're doing the story of how he stops being a priest, and Electra's I don't know, just... we're at three issues, and he's still a priest, so I'm pretty tired. Yeah, and Electra's just there in the background being vaguely a pervert that watches Matt all day. If a guy did that... Um... I wish you would do that to me. That's how perverted it is. Tim Burnham says, I like the ideas being presented, but I don't feel like they are actually being given room to breathe, if that makes any sense. Things feel a bit rushed with smacks of editorial manipulation. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. More than a reflection on Ahmed and Cooter. Uh, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. That is kind of how I feel, too. At the same time, uh, I, they, you know, as Nico said, they kind of don't feel rushed. Like, it's been three issues and matt is still this uh priest i don't know which like three issues i guess isn't long uh but it feels long i don't know it's just a weird place and it it's weird just because i know that we're not staying here uh and we just came from such a rich background tapestry that to go to this just doesn't feel quite right and you know it's even involved sort of like feelings of other places where Daredevil has felt amped up and then fallen, like yeah. Shadowland era, which uh, received a really beautiful omnibus recently. Uh, I'm sorry, a representation. Um, uh, okay. The first issue of Gang War was the best issue of Daredevil I've read in 2023 because I did not love the end of Daredevil by Zdarsky as much as I love the beginning. Uh, part of the problem with Gang War 1 is that I don't know that Gang War 4 can pay it off because Erica Schultz is performing at an A-plus level in a world where they're only going to let her perform at a B-plus. This ends a whole month after the rest of Gang War. Earn my love. Co Earn my love because uh, a guy who I think the world of is going to be putting a lot of precedence on Ghost Rider number one. And, uh, you know, if Daredevil Gang War number four has to earn my affection, dude, I am holding Ghost Rider number one to your personal uh, grade for it because you are the biggest Ghost Rider fan I know. Uh, yeah. So Gang War, Gang War is going to be fine. Um, it uh, This will be this is great to see Elektra doing her thing. Give me a Daredevil book that is a starring Electra that isn't a Spider-Man book, please. Uh, immediately, uh, that's that's all there is to it. But this is cool. This is this was uh, this her first issue, Daredevil's first issue of Gang War. Probably my favorite one so far. She's great. She is a great Daredevil. She's awesome. Let's keep this up. Uh, oh, I was gonna say that like one of the biggest things that 2023 gave me was you as an active regular reader of Daredevil, and I just hope that 2024 delivers on that promise. Starting twenty twenty two. Um, I don't have high hopes for this Ghost Rider. Um, Did you really read Daredevil regularly in twenty twenty two? Yep, uh, Devil's Reign was in twenty twenty two. 
Oh my god, wow. Zdarsky wrote forever. Mm -hmm. Really long run. That's why I'm not super cool with just dishing it all, man. Uh, and, you know, people are talking about how uh, Wilson showing up in Echo really might be the start of doing Devil's Reign in, uh, you know, like he might start his mayoral campaign uh, sometime soon so that a lot of the next stuff coming up and born again and everything will be essentially their version of Devil's Reign. So, like, it's really important. You know, what Zdarsky did was incredibly important. Uh, and I just think, yeah. I don't want to give Marvel free ideas, but could you imagine if Wilson became a sorcerer by virtue of what he did instead of spellcasting? Like, think about all of the positions that Wilson has held in the Marvel Universe and think about what that means just as a physical being of his gravitas. Marvel has really created a complicated character that rivals, like, real-world Giuliani. Yeah. Like actual real life like this is a character that really represents the indomitable spirit of new york yeah uh i could see that i mean and i think that magic is uh a a frontier for wilson that is worth exploring we kind of talked about that earlier today we were having a discussion about wilson and mary and like other stories for them uh and yes i could see that and i think it would be really cool uh, I don't have high hopes for this Daredevil because we're adding a new Ghost Rider. Sorry, for this Ghost Rider because we're adding a new Ghost Rider to the mix. Uh, or so says all of the stuff. You know, who is who will be the next Ghost Rider? Says all of the solicits, and probably it's going to be like, you know, Johnny picks the guy out, and he's like, "You will be the next Ghost Rider." Psych! I just decided I'm going to keep doing it, and then we get this book. Uh, so I'll need to read it, but we have Robbie Reyes, we have Kushala, we, uh, have a ton of other Ghost Riders, which, uh, Nico and I did three issues, uh, three episodes worth of Ghost Rider coverage last month, uh, that you can check out, uh, where we covered basically every Ghost Rider that you've ever seen in the Marvel Universe. Some and of and who, some stupid ones. And, and so, you know, great ones, stupid ones, everything in between. Uh, who's going to be the next Ghost Rider? Knuckles O'Shaughnessy is who's going to be the next ghost rider why would it be anybody else you fools we've already had the best one um it doesn't always need to be somebody new like it, we can't live in a world where wolverine needs to be in everything because wolverine is the best and he's the most popular and then also we need to create a new ghost rider every time there's a any kind of reset all right here's what i want to say yeah I'm going to I'm going to break the internet, all right? Ally Galactic, if you would do me a favor, if you would please write a review of Ultimate X-Men number 1, our team would be happy to pay for it for you. Uh I want to publish your review of Ultimate X-Men number 1. I uh really feel a lot of ways about this relaunch. Uh Tim Burnham, if you would be willing to read it as well, that would mean the world to me. This is the most daring voice in all of the Marvel Universe telling a story. She is so daring. Her variant covers get stories. This entire Ultimate X-Men pitch was accepted based on the idea of her variant cover character. Peach Momoko, you were not just a brilliant voice and an incredible idea, Smith, but... You know, you took the time to talk to our team and you were given the opportunity to shape Ultimate X-Men. This is, oh, Tori, please, if you're ready, psh, Tori, come on, talk about X-Men. I just, uh, I don't know. 
I've never read Ultimate X-Men as somebody who enjoys the X-Men. I've read Ultimate X-Men as somebody who critiques comics. This is the first time I'm reading Ultimate X-Men as somebody excited. Although I did read the BKV era of Ultimate X-Men thinking it was going to be special. And then it was just Ultimate X-Men. Um, I... Oh, uh, Tim Burnham asked if uh, Peach is doing the entire book. She is writing yep. and drawing it. Yep. Uh, that means the world to us, Alley Galactic. We are so glad you pre-ordered it because we told you to. And uh, yes, Tori, it is in fact yeah, Momoko who you spoke Momoko. to. Yo. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited about the Peach book. I just, as I said earlier in the episode about the entire Ultimate Universe, this is a weird thing that they're doing here. Uh, I... They started the original Ultimate Universe with one Spider-Man title, and they were like, hey, it's like the Marvel Universe meets our universe. It's like, uh, you know, it's the stories updated and modernized. I do not know how I will explain the the existence of this universe to a non-comic A lot of people read Ultimate whatever x-men spider-man because you said to them yeah it's kind of like uh the the spider-man titles that have existed for years but these are kind of new and they've been kind of reset for a new audience you know you don't need to know any continuity and if you started people in the first couple years that was true eventually it became complicated continuity as all comics do but the idea was just like hey imagine if spider-man started today in the world that we live in rather than starting in 1964. um and you know they'll use it they'll tell you kind of a lot of the same stories but adapted for a world that started today and not in 1964. this is the guy from ultimate fantastic four who they started out kind of like things did today and then when they changed it was because among other things ultimate mr fantastic became insane and evil and hopped universes and was part of the force that destroyed the multiverse and then he came back from the multiverse and hung out in our universe where he caused all kinds of havoc and at some point he got arrested and he got put in a jail cell and then he did some weird thing where he convinced all these people to get them and then he melted them all into one guy that looked like him so he could get out of the prison then he hopped universes to another universe that was a weird universe that's nothing like our universe that has all of these people that kind of remind us of people that we know but they're nothing like them like everybody in uh, the russian mutant circle is a rasputin and they all represent different countries and he brings all of these like ultimate fighters along and he tries to destroy the universe but then he takes over the universe and that's how the ultimate x-men starts are you fucking kidding me that's what i'm going to say to anybody to try to convince convince them to read these books yes <laughs> I no i will like taking notes i'm like no yeah, okay i, I will know. not be saying that to people and i don't think that will be a convincing line for people so i read all of that you know it's not that much to read but as these books go on it will be it's going to be more and more difficult to want to go back and read ultimate invasion and ultimate universe uh and uh, so is this the next it incarnation of the ultimate universe the only universe that was even close to as big as the marvel universe at any time over the last four years the only thing that was publishing as many titles and it was i mean it was never publishing as many but like even a comparable number you know, um 
I will say that even if it didn't publish as many books, it published as much gravitas as the yeah. Marvel Universe was publishing yeah. with its 46 books compared to the Ultimate Universe's seven. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, but it was it had a line. And so are you telling me that this is going to be that? Because I can't. Uh, Tim Burnham, I'm so lost by that summary. Hooray comics. Yeah, that's my point. Like, I don't, I hope you are lost by that summary because that's like, that's, that is what happened. Like, that's a pretty cogent summary, I think. Uh, and I, that's the setup for this universe. Like, you, that's the setup versus just like, it's kind of like our universe, but, uh, or it's kind of like the Marvel universe, but new. Um, it makes it really hard to believe that these books are going to be good long-standing and result in something that is like healthy for me to keep investing in instead it feels like uh this will either frustrate me or confuse me uh or be this thing where i'm like well now i feel bad if i'm not buying it also is that white storm i don't think it's white storm but you know part of peach momoko's vision for reimagining the x-men allows uh I want to say some imagination. And, you know, when we're talking about imagination, I love that the Ultimate Universe is only publishing four books. It's publishing Ultimate X-Men. It's publishing Ultimate Black Panther, Ultimate Spider-Man, and in some capacity, either Ultimate Iron Man or Ultimate. Uh, I know it's some version of that. You know what? Ultimate Black Panther. Wow. You are literally saying that one third or one fourth of your publishing line is literally blackness. You know, I have no authority to speak on blackness, but uh, Black Panther does. And I am really excited about the potentiality of an ultimate universe that treats blackness with fairness. I only wish that there could be some sort of a queer Cuban running around the ultimate universe. Like if you need a gay Robbie Reyes, hey, 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 I talked about growing poppers in a VCR. You guys know you can get the queer for me. And, uh, you know, I'm also very, very Latin. And loud. And uh, so you guys can call me up anytime you want. Ultimate Spider-Man really is the hard part of the Ultimate Universe. And what's difficult for me is that I know that Jonathan Hickman is responsible personally for reshaping and redeveloping the Ultimate Universe. But Ultimate Spider-Man is the thing that I just don't care about. Yep. I get you. How do you feel about Ultimate uh, Spider-Man? I feel the same way. I don't really care about it. I'm I'm pretty stoked to see Wilson on that cover, uh, but I I don't really care about it, uh, especially because I gave all my reasons why before. Because I, if it, if the continuity is already convoluted, figure out a way to make this uh, renew your vows, Spider Man, Spinneret, and uh, Annie, whose spider name I keep forgetting. Is she Orb Weaver? Um, Spiderling. Spiderling, thank you. Uh, yeah, if this is a new universe, uh, make it them. If, there they are. We love them. Um, mm -hmm. If it's a new universe, uh, make it uh, a a resurrected um, or no longer the other uh, MC2 Spider-Man, Mayday, Benji, and Mary Jane. Um, make it them. I don't I don't need this new set of people. Uh I just I don't care, man. But I do think the cover's super cool. Wilson looks great. That Spider-Man with a beard is super hot. I'm not dumb. Uh but 
know. I I just in the grand scheme of things, given how insane it was just to describe how these books came into fruition, uh, I think I would rather take somebody is another multiversal spider-man for this book i actually think that would have been a great way to do the ultimate universe like do redo the battle world concept of like the maker pulled in uh, a bunch of timelines and crushed them into a universe and that's how you have uh mc2 spider-man uh you know the days of future past x-men and whatever black you know something like that i think would be way more fun than me having to describe the start of this ultimate universe the way that i did and then be like and that's where our tale begins here's uh armor maybe you know and i think part of what like makes the idea that peach momoko is the person who is responsible for the ultimate x-men revamp is that she's not someone who's had a huge influence on the Marvel universe going forward. You know, she is someone who has had a tiny influence on the Marvel universe as she's touched it. But, you know, Jonathan Hickman has always had a huge influence on the Marvel universe going forward. Whenever he touches the titles, it changes everything, which is why I'm not really excited about his ultimate Spider-Man, which is just going to feel like an amazing Spider-Man. But Ultimate X-Men, it's going to feel like somebody coming in from the outside having a huge impact on everything going on on the center stage. And for that reason, I don't know. This has been probably the most excited I've ever been about a solicit episode we've done, even if it's not the most excited I've ever been about a solicits that we've ever covered. Yeah, I feel you. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, all right. So uh, three hours. I had originally planned this at an hour and 45. So uh, I'm shot, but uh, I'm really excited yeah. to wrap this thing up with you. And uh, Saturday, we're coming back to talk about some MonsterVerse, oh, Kong, man, so Godzilla. Uh, it's going to be a real hot, sexy time. Uh, and then Sunday, I don't think there's anything to talk about on Sunday. No, there's no TV, nothing. Oh, well. And so, then, you know, we're still going to have an episode, but we'll just kind of sit here and oh, be like, wait. hey, how was your day? Hold on. Okay, you dorks, I have something queued up already. Oh, so, what's that, Heavy? If you have enjoyed this content, definitely check out all of our other comic content. Last week, we talked a little bit more about the end of the fall of the House of X, which is just fun to say, obviously. Um, also, make sure to check out, uh, especially this week of all weeks, uh, our amazing drag content like Draggy New Year or our coverage of Snatch Game as we roll this week into, oh yes, the premiere of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 16. Okay, so here's the thing about talking about Drag Race Revealed for 16. We were ready to just have a regular comic episode, and then this at like, I don't know, was it noon, one p.m.? We Something were like, like that, maybe even eleven. It's got to be what we talk about, and it wound up being one of our biggest episodes of our entire series. Here's why this matters to me: we're just three dudes, and uh, sometimes we're four dudes. Hey, Jojo, what's up? But uh, we're just three dudes, and we love what we love. We talk about what we talk about. I'm just me. I literally don't say anything different when I'm on air or off air. This is just, in fact, I think maybe on air, I'm a little bit more censored. Uh, we just had a great time talking about these Queens. We had a great time talking today about these solicits. I don't know. I feel like these are two episodes that really represent what we love as a team. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, all right, Kevo, you got anything left for us or you just want to give us your sign off? 
No, I'm good. Let me just put everyone in their rightful place. And, uh... I do enjoy being okay. the top. <laughs> and I do enjoy being the Anne. So I am and producer Kev O'Reilly, and you can find me at Kev O'Reilly. Teak, where can the folks at home find you? You can find me at TK Elemental. Nico, where can everybody find you? You can probably find me at home talking to the guy over here and the guy down there, thinking that they are the two smartest, coolest guys on the entirety of the internet. As for me, you can check out my arrangements of things like uh, the X-Men theme, the Spider-Man Homecoming theme, and more over on my SoundCloud. You guys can find me over on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. And uh, I just want to say a humongous, humongous shout out to the brilliant voice that is Ali Galactic. The incredible Daredevil perspectives that come from Tim Burnham. The unbelievable fun that comes from Tasty Cake. Uh, everybody already knows that I am like gay obsessed with Tori. And, uh, yo, just go watch Kyle Flex. It's absurd. Uh, um, but, you know, what we make is we make a show about media. We make a show about what we love. And uh, what we love is whole lot of people just thriving and being excited about the future that's why when the x-men is a bummer it kind of bums us out but uh when drag race is excited we're pretty excited about it so uh don't forget to check us out like subscribe comment and more all over x's for show as for me you can check me out at nico action n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n and three things you guys got to do number one guys got to stay safe most important thing in this world number two be brave. Number three, evolve daily. And uh, while you're at it, check out Devin Goda over on The Price is Right. That's a guy that did all three. You should see his transformation into a supermodel. Anyway, uh, I just really wanted to see what happened if I said that for Kevo. <laughs> anyway, see uh, you guys soon. And uh, we love you. And we'll talk to you guys on Saturday to talk about cut the broadcast. <laughs> yes, and, and we love you. Come back soon. Goodbye. I like to keep the mask. <laughs> no.